powered by Riverside FM. In 1862, the city of Philadelphia was founded in the province of Pennsylvania, between the Delaware and Schuylkill rivers. It quickly grew into an important colonial city and, during the American Revolution, was the site of the first and second Continental Congresses. During the War for Independence, the city was chosen to be the temporary capital of the United States, with its state house used by Congress during this time. This landmark would go on to be known as Independence Hall, a lasting monument to American independence. For their sequel to 2011's Homefront, German publisher Crytek would decide to use Philadelphia as the backdrop for their campaign. A reboot of sorts of that original game, the world of Homefront sees a military of occupation of the United States by a unified Korea. If the people of Philly could fight back against the Georgian era Brits, then perhaps they could do it again against a more technologically advanced foe. To make sure that this revolution would go off without a hitch, Crytek looked to the talents of a once-celebrated developer who, through a string of bad luck, needed a shot of redemption. Having proven their quality through multiplayer modes for Crytek's previous games, this would be their opportunity to once again remind the world why they were once masters of the console FPS. The mistakes of Hayes were going to be a thing of the past, and this was the title that would perfect their future. Question was, did their revolutionary work go noticed? On this episode of Bullet Time, we close out our mini-series on the games of Free Radical Design Limited, with Damn Buster Studios' 2016 game, Homefront The Revolution. Bloody playing this game, James, it felt like a battle. Not for America, but for whether or not I liked this game. For not not for your attention span either, I guess. You did stick it out. I stuck much. it out. I finished it. I'm surprised I did. I came close to quitting, but it's a game where I wanted to like it. And I would finish every session slightly frustrated. And then like an hour later, a day later, I'd think come on, there's got to be something here that you like. And I'd open it again and I'd be wanting to like it. And just as every play session went on, I liked it less and less and less. The story was better than the meandering, but neither was great. <laughs> Not close now, to great. I don't even I, know. I mean, I it's very weird because I played this... Maybe this was the first game that I played for the Free Radical series, weirdly enough, when we had started doing research. I think it was for me as well. I, I My earliest recordings are in November, so it could have been, yeah. could have been second or third, maybe. And I was like, oh, I'll finish this by the time that, we, that I need to finish it. And then yesterday, I think we were just talking, no, well, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, oh, James, just give me a deadline, so I'll finish the fucking yeah, yeah, game. Just, can, can, can you just, like, yeah, can you just give me a time that I can just get this out of my life? Yeah, because if I'm not forced thing. to finish this, if I'm not told, hey, here's the finish line, get it done by then, it's, it's never going to be touched. It's yeah, just not going to get done. Whereas that competes with my thing of, oh, well, I don't want to pet anyone out. I, I'd rather people do stuff at their own base, and you're like, no... 
I need a deadline for this. I need to exercise this from my computer. Yeah, with guests, no, you got to be polite. With me, you got to be like, all right, Snake, here's your deadline, because then I work good on deadlines. That's it's, true. It's when I have unlimited time that there's a problem. No, that, that's when you get into the weeds of, is this game good? Is it bad? I mean... And, I mean... Um, I mean, I hope this podcast will illuminate that for myself, but so far I'll say, I think this is better than Haze, but I also kind of hate it just as much in its own way. I... In its I guess, own special way. Yeah, I have complicated thoughts about it. I guess first things first, hi folks, welcome to Bullet Sign, the video game podcast that analyzes the shooters that miss their marks. Uh, we're continuing. Well, I, no, we're not. We're, we're finishing. This is, this is it. This is we, we've hit the end, folks, of the free radical mini series, Future Perfect. This is, well, uh, this I mean, is an inauspicious good. end. Yeah, both this, to this the, is the Homefront series to this sub series. Yeah, this is the oddest ending that we've done to a mini series so far, and. That's probably because of the fact that the first one that we did was Raven Software, and they're still a developer making games. It's just that they make Call of Duty campaigns, and they're working on Warzone. Well, Warzone 2.0 is what they do now, but like the last game that we wrapped up on was Singularity, which felt like a nice capstone of, oh, they're a very, you know, a solid workman-like developer. They, you know, made quality FPS games, didn't quite punch above, you know, nothing to the extent of like a Half-Life 2 or like a Halo Combat Evolved or even a Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But there's a lot, Raven made a lot of games which people, you know, look back on fondly and say, oh, I enjoyed that. And that went all the way up to their last, re- well, their last original release, which was Singularity. Free Radical Design Limited is like, I don't know whether it's also because of the thing of, Raven Software, American company, you know, American underdog story versus British cynicism of a quality developer being ground down into a paste to the extent of the game that we are covering isn't technically a free radical design limited game. They were not called that when this game was released. And I guess technically, well, well, this is in a weird limbo period as well, but I guess we'll get into that, but... It's years yeah. removed, funnily enough, for a, for a studio that specialised in time travel games. This is years removed. And locationally and gameplay-wise, far removed from anything they made before. Oh yeah. So, God, well I guess, so just to put people out of the misery, the game that we're talking about today is Homefront the Revolution, made by Dam Buster Studios and published by... No, published by D Silver. It was meant to be published by Crytek. Because they were they Crytek went... UK for a time when they did the Crisis multiplayers, which we didn't cover. Um, we kind yeah. of jumped. We jumped over those. We had a friend tell us that they were really into Crisis 2 multiplayer. Um, yep. But I think it passed both of us by because I, no, I didn't and play those games. I think the thing with this podcast series has been as well, and I'm sure people have figured this out pretty quickly, we're quite... Well, I say we... I think this is more me, and I guess you're you focused on the big ticket releases. The I was going to say more into campaigns and ah. single player modes rather than multiplayer. Just yeah, there is the... some stuff I want to do with multiplayer, but it's uh, it's it's ambitious. 
kind it's of a bit of, yeah w- w- multiplayer we will cover at some point because i think we want to talk about like the weird multiplayer modes that a lot yeah, of 360 era games had i wanted to have either a single thing or a little sub-series maybe on talking about games that had bizarre multiplayer modes or ideas that didn't catch on you know like where a game would put a unique spin or a new objective yeah. on things like um the old battlefield 2040 game where it was about taking out a ship and that mode was very popular oh, yeah. and never quite happened again um or metal gear solid 4 which had snake v guards which was a cool yes. thing where one player was the hero and yeah basically those kind of modes where it's like cool idea didn't quite catch on or was very specific yeah and i've always had a bit of a fascination with like that kind of era where developers well i said no it's mostly publishers were trying to figure out how can we increase the longevity of these games and a lot of them went the avenue of kind of like additional content or even locking people out of like resales like um batman arkham city is the one i always think of where there's 25 percent of that game that you cannot play unless you buy a brand new copy of it which is bizarre to consider like in today's like era did that kind of come out of the because there was a period where game manufacturers were very very scared of secondhand sales so they get put codes in or yeah yeah they locked features like oh you buy new or you know go screw yourself i hated that and part of that was also well if we want people to keep playing these games and not sell them on they need to have multiplayer modes i think a part of that was also looking at the success of stuff like halo and going well you play the campaign, but then you play it for months afterwards in the multiplayer, or some people just buy it, well, like Call of Duty, some people just buy it for the multiplayer, and they were like, okay, Bioshock 2 could be our Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and it's like, really? And apparently its multiplayer is surprisingly good. It is so- It is made by Digital Extremes, who would then go on to just make nothing but Warframe for the rest of eternity, but they were a very solid solidly reliable multiplayer dev house i mean they started by doing on like doing well they worked with epic on like the first versions of unreal and unreal tournament and then yeah it just became relied upon for hey help us out with our game and I yeah one of the, the things funniest they did was, the funniest hmm. one of these is fucking spec yeah. ops the line has a online multiplayer mode <laughs> That is that, and The Last of Us. I also think is kind of bizarre that that has a multiplayer mode as well. I mean, Spec Ops is obviously the funnier one because it's an anti-war game, and a multiplayer is like obvious. I mean, but most multiplayer games haven't really got stories of anything to them. But I guess if there was like, what would be the political opposite of what Spec Ops: The Line was saying? It would be <laughs> a multiplayer mode. Yeah. It'd be good if it tried to do some PTSD mechanic as the round yeah. goes on. As the round goes on, the winning team starts suffering from delusions Ooh. to make the game harder to play. God, yeah, you could have it like um, there is like permanent damage as well. So like when you get the kill streak and you unlock white phosphorus, <laughs> just the other team is just completely like it's it's the bit from modern warfare where you're caught in the nuclear blast and you're like stumbling around dying from radiation poisoning but for the rest of the round <laughs> they should have had us there they should have had us at Jaeger <laughs> studios they should they should have had me in the room oh god yeah, yeah. no I make the we'll get... multiplayer more grisly make it worse the weirdest thing is that Jaeger 
became one of the developers that worked on Dead, Dead Island. Island 2, which still is not out. And is and now Dead being Island... done by former fucking Free Radical alumni. No, even worse than that, it was being... Oh, no, it was being... No, it's being done by... Yeah, you're right, it's being done by Dan Buster now. It was given to fucking Sumo for a little bit as well, because they were like, oh, you can get a game over the line, because they had... Sumo were the ones that got Crackdown free to come out. Like, after a million years of development on that, they were like, yeah, these guys are reliable, the Snake Pass and Sonic Racing guys. They'll give it to them. God, Sumo yeah. Digital. I always mistake them. I don't know why I always mistake them for the Mr. Mosquito guys. Maybe it was them. May- Big Ben? I don't remember. It's a long history. Sumo Digital sounds very familiar, but I'm bad at remembering who does what. No. That's why you're here. You remember stuff. You know That's stuff. right. Yeah, I'm the nostalgia critic. I remember it, so you don't have to. Genuinely, in this case, because I can't. And I'm also firing my gun wildly into the air because they introduced a home front credit card in this game. <laughs> um, where a do we. Home front credit card. Home front credit card? I guess before we get to the actual game, <laughs> this game does have multiplayer, but it's online co op and we neglected to play it. I, a couple of the reviews did say that the co-op does make the game slightly more enjoyable, but in the way that co-op makes every game slightly more enjoyable. I mean, yeah, and it's uh, it's missions, isn't it? It's kind of preset. Oh, separate. yeah. yeah. It's, um, uh, God, what, what was it called? Spec Ops mode in um, Modern Warfare oh, 2? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Had, yeah. like, specialized missions where it was, like, built around co-op, like... My favorite one of those was like where somebody was in the AC-30 and another person was on the ground Ooh. and you were kind of, like, trying to coordinate together. Um, and yeah, like, Homefront the Revolution kind of has stuff like that, but the main bulk of the game is, I guess the easiest way to describe it is, it's a Far Cry game. It's- yeah, that's, um, that is jumping right into it. This is a yeah. Ubisoft-styled checklist game that is both more interesting and somehow worse. I, I don't yeah. know how to put it, because, okay, so I... I'm at a disadvantage to begin with because I, you know, I have a complete distaste for Ubisoft. Let's, yeah, let's go, let's go into our, because we were talking about initial thoughts anyway, so let's circle back to that and let's get into your thoughts, which very much relates to, yeah, you're not a Ubisoft check- checklist So um, I played a lot of them when I was, like, I was in on Assassin's Creed, like, day one, and I followed it, I think I followed it right up to Syndicate, um... Though I gave Unity a miss, and I mm. I played Far Cry Three, didn't play Four, played Five, and I and I played Watch Dogs, and I they have you know it's called the formula. I think it's a toy box nowadays, and oh, I played Valhalla as well. I've I've got my credentials, and yeah, there you, are you, few... you put you put you've put your time in, I yeah, and my kind of take on it is. It is the most boring, lifeless, soulless route that free roamers could have took, and it's also popular because it's a very good way of kind of very creating very habit-forming gameplay and selling it year yeah. on year, and I hate their approach to storytelling. Assassin's Creed was originally meant to be a trilogy. Uh, the director left, and then it wasn't a trilogy. Uh, Ubisoft well, well, he didn't has... leave. He got, f- he got fired. He got fired. Oh, okay. Left with... Uh, Left with malice, I suppose. Yeah, le- left in a very awkward thing. Because, yeah, I think Dennis told us this story when we were, well, last time we saw him, which was, yeah, Patrice Desolet came into work and they handed him his, like, like basically they had emptied his desk, put, handed it to him in a box and said, get out. 
Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just never ended. And I I was going through a very cynical period when I realized it, and I'm not so grumpy nowadays, shocker, I'm on this rant, but I, I don't know. I hate that method of storytelling. I'm someone who likes a conclusion, likes a definitive endpoint, likes the themes to kind of all come together and land. And I say that as a Yakuza fan as well, I know, but those stories are one and done, even in a series. Sure. But stretching these kind of things out into infinity and... I don't know. It's very frustrating. It feels so artificial, a method of storytelling. And it's a particular noise me in Watch Dogs where it's constant stories of... Especially because they so often do the framing of revolution. But yeah. you do a framing of revolution, but funnily enough, for this, where it will just never end. Because the moment there's a conclusion, you have to cancel a series. You have, no, to, I- you have to be done. And, and it always feels like when they do that as well, it's that they always go, well, shit, we can't have an element of finality. And it always seems like they go to the same thing of, well, what if the revolutionary leader was the bad is a bad guy as well? And like and, the, and yeah. that's game de- that's game developer brain going one, what if we have a twist because people love twists? And two, how do we keep the story going? But then when you read into it, like it's just a story, you go, oh, that yeah, like kind of politically, that's pretty fucked. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like essentially, you're just saying is like. Don't fight for change, you know. Even if you try to make stuff better, it will just make... And so the gameplay doesn't. And I've I've realized, sorry, I went off on one and it became more about the thing. But basically it's just... You know, you play GTA and you play a lot of rumors and I played Boiling Point growing up. And to me, the joy of a sandbox is kind of spontaneity and variety of approach and objectives and, you know, it feeling like a world. And... Ubisoft games and that kind of what I just I'm gonna call checklist free roamers, they feel so artificial. It just feels like a not even a sandbox. It feels like a hub world that just has some meaningless dots scattered around. And yeah, you do a thing, it pushes a bar up one percent, and I just can't get beyond that artificiality. Even though other games just aren't better, framing does kind of a lot for me. And oh yeah. This and I think Ubisoft just gotten to the point of putting the putting the artificiality front and center because that also just kind of activates the dopamine. Like, oh, cool! I'm checking off a list. I'm making progress, even though it's minuscule and pointless and annoying. And, and it gets worse in games like Far Cry and Assassin's Creed. Every game you're kicked back to point zero, and it's like, oh shit! I have two out of four weapons. I got to do this boring, busy work to feel like a functional character again yep. for the fucking twentieth time. Um, so, yeah, and I played a bunch of them as a teenager, and I I don't have the stomach for it anymore. I don't have the... I'm, I'm actually a rather impatient person, so... Sure. The more games go on, I like games that just kind of get to the point, get me to the fun. I feel kind of fully featured. I have a fully featured moveset, and the game is going to be about challenging my mastery of that kit. And I think Homefront is better, because Homefront is more... Um, antagonistic towards the player in a good way in that it makes Mm. you feel like you are in a dangerous zone you have to be a little bit sneakier a little bit more clever than a far cry game where it's just kind of where it's it it just kind of it's very hands-off it's very um frictionless an experience which is quite dull this one actually has a little element of friction um and the series is over and it just and it's ended so i also kind of whether or not that you feel like purpose, yeah there's an extra sense of finality to it yeah. in regards to, i respect yeah, it because of elements outside of its control as unfair as that is 
I guess the circle back thing, because I think my thoughts on it, and I think it's interesting because they have shifted a little bit after playing it and also from doing research elsewhere, but like you kind of said that you know, the Ubisoft, it was a formula, then became a toy box, and then... Yeah, they create... Every game, they create a new element, and then they kind of... They bury the lead by, oh, now we've made this one feature, we can bring it back in the future sometimes. Yeah, they they sometimes add another flavor to the menu, but I would say, I wouldn't call it a formula at this point, because it is so figured out. It's a template. Okay. Like, it is something that can be photocopied across games, and then you just kind of change the aesthetic qualities of it, so... An Assassin's Creed game is third person, little bit of stealth stuff, and then you have the continuing story of like Altair's bloodline and Absturgeon and stuff like that. Mm. Watchdogs, what's the twist? Uh, you have a mobile phone, is set in a contemporary setting, and is a bit more about conspiracy. Far Cry, what's the difference? It's first person, tiny bit of like weapon stuff, but they all follow exactly the same beats of you can stick to the main story missions or you can do like base liberation. And by doing that, you color in the map a little bit. And you usually color in the that map and get unlocks and yeah, yeah, basically it's like you open a map in a Ubisoft game. And the thing that it used to be was people were put off like in Assassin's Creed two and brotherhood. Cause you open the map and there was a million icons Yeah, and you go, Oh, well this is just overwhelming. And then they figured out, okay, what if we don't show all the icons at once? What if you have to liberate a base or find a tower and then we populate it with icons? And as you said, it's the thing of you walk forward and you get an unlock and then you turn left and you do an activity and kind of that and that. And it's weird because it goes back to what we were saying earlier on about a lot of kind of early AAA experiments in how do we expand the length of gameplay and some people experimented with, you know, DLC or with multiplayer modes and stuff like that. But I think probably there was a time, especially between the release of Far Cry 3 and I would say maybe about five years ago, maybe actually it may even be more recent where the Ubisoft formula was the way to go in regards to, well, we could take what is essentially five hours of gameplay and extend it to 15 or 20. Yes, yeah. And the way that we do that is by essentially getting a little bit of butter and putting it along the world's largest piece of toast. And I guess to frame it around Homefront the Revolution, because that would kind of nicely tie it into the game that we're talking about anyways, but also kind of give examples of what we mean. So the game is about essentially well it's set in philadelphia and the game is set as the meat of the game the reason that you bought it is that you liberate parts of philadelphia borough by borough essentially yeah kind of it's like small... urban far cry it's an urban yeah. jungle yeah which is uh, funnily enough that was like the first thing when i started playing it was like oh this is genuine this is interesting in regards to you know ubisoft have Far um, watchdogs, but they don't really do the park war element of it that they have in Assassin's Creed. Maybe a little bit in two and uh, Legion, but I don't know so much about one just because I haven't played it. One had the and tower th- stuff. Two was when people were getting really sick of the towers and they were changing it up. So in two, yeah. you didn't have liberations. You had areas that were hard set as this is gang territory or police territory. You just you go here, you get shot. I liked two. I like Two's world the most. Yeah. Um, 
like London had its charms. But I liked Two's world the most because it felt more defined. It felt like this is a world and basically what I dislike about a lot of Ubisoft worlds is your ability to influence it feels very artificial. Like you're told, oh cool, you've liberated this base, you've done this, but you don't feel like you've actually had an effect on the world beyond it just insisting upon that. Into the fact that you couldn't actually made me like it more because it felt like the world actually had a character and I was just kind yeah. of existent within it. Um, this game actually does it fairly well, I'd say, because... Yeah, I would... I Again, that was a thing as well of, like, my feelings of it have fluctuated in regards to... So you do the... You liberate bases and you, like, find a you know, like an item pack or you fight... I Like in Assassin's Creed, it was feathers, but I guess in this is radios that you yeah. turn radios on and it pumps in, you know, inspirational chants and stuff. That does, one, at least feed into the plot, but it also mechanically does nicely pay off in regards to the zones do change when you reach a certain level of liberation. Like, Yeah, it's very funny, though. Um, we're hmm. jumping ahead a bit, but... Sure. Throughout the game, you kind of loop between like green zones and red zones. I can't remember what the names are, but basically in green, green yellow, and red. Yellow yeah. and red. In yellow zones, it's like the KPA is very present, but there's also citizenry present. So you're mm -hmm. encouraged to be like, it's more social stealth. It's like walk around, avoid the KPA, um, you know, be very careful and don't stand out or whatever. And you can hide in dustbins to fucking <laughs> for five seconds and they'll forget I about get the you. Grudge. And yeah. those have the most immediate visual effect is that you go around like blowing up fuse boxes, turning on radios and like, oh, assassinate the KPI officer, save this civilian. And the more you do that, you see more people kind of like they're trashing cars and they're openly rebelling. But the KPA still ignore them and go after you. So it's very funny that I've had at multiple <laughs> yeah. points like there's just a citizen with a baseball bat just smashing the shit out of a car and then a KPA officer sees me just walking around like, I'm going after that guy. <laughs> get, I can only assume that you're, because you never see what your guy looks yeah, like, so, so I can only assume they're dressed but it's still I, funny I, that they just ignore the baseball bats guy. I, I assume that your guy looks like, um, you know, like in Brazil where they have uh, Mardi Gras. Like you're just dressed up like a flamenco dancer oh, okay. at all times. And they're just like, ah, that's the guy. You're wearing him. a big fucking American flag cape and they're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look like you look like Homelander from... Uh, <laughs> From the boys, but you but you're also kitted out in as many weapons as possible. Which we will we'll get into we'll get into weapons. That we'll, we got we've thing. jumped ahead to right to liberation. Let's let's. Well, I guess we're talking about sort of the loops and yeah, stuff true. as well. I guess that is the key point. Yeah, that's what people are going to be thinking about. Which is there is a it's more condensed than Far Cry, and that is to its benefit. But I kind of hate the activities in this game. And here's the thing that I would say to kind of bring it back around, which is the thing that I said about like taking a bit of butter and spreading it across a lot of toast. This game does have a lot of good ideas in it, but it's so diluted by its adherence to doing the Ubisoft now, formula. That that's actually where I will disagree with you. Interesting. Okay, let's. So I think this is more focused than Ubisoft, and that's to its benefit. Where I think it's worse is in execution, where. For all of my gripes with Ubisoft, and this is like, this is a very loaded, backhanded compliment. <laughs> sure. They have mastered a smooth experience. And that's oh, not well, smooth interesting. It's like, yeah. they've got, they know the visual language. They know how to tell the player exactly what to do, which granted, that's also because 
they load their games down with text and idiot proofing but it's also oh, yeah. the visual language is very clear like you come across the tower even though it's a few years out of date you come across anything in a ubisoft game and it communicates itself which granted yeah. having played far cry 6 recently very literally because it will fucking pop up a free page tutorial this uh-huh. doesn't have that and that's i'm a very two minds about this because it's both better and worse because throughout the game and this feels very good for a revolutionary game is it uses like signs and signposting and world details like they'll you'll see doors with this painted on it and i don't believe the game ever explains what those signs mean maybe it was in mail or like in a menu somewhere oh and yeah as you do those puzzles you kind of start realizing more and more it's like oh this is a hidden language the kpa doesn't understand that's kind of clever yes but also, those puzzles are so fucking annoyingly laid out, and <laughs> yeah. the world is so bland. Like, you were watching me stream it to you once. Do you remember we were walking around a house for, like, five minutes before I looked up and realized... Had to it, shoot a roof. Yeah, like... some, of the, some of the ceiling tiles had, like, a sign on them, and I just thought, do I shoot the ceiling tile? And we just... I shot it, the thing fell down, I was like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> Whoever looks up. But it's... it also works for, a, in a sense, of the revolution. It's like, hey, it took me minutes to fucking find that, and I'm in the fucking revolution. <laughs> That is true, yeah. I mean, I'll give it this, like, it does very much kind of punch above its weight in regards to, and and you know, we'll dig into all this kind of stuff anyways, but like, it very much it punches above its... It urban puzzles. Yeah, but like, the world design of the game is genuinely in, like, the world building, I guess, is interesting in regards to the developers. Well, I suppose they had a prequel to work from, but from doing reading and from what I understand... The revolution is like a massive step up, both kind of quality-wise and kind of like how they force out the world and stuff. So, like, yeah, the fact that the revolution have their own sort of yeah ludic language, like they use like blue is the color that they use at the revolution, and like they will dot places in the world which are in blue to let you know, hey, this may lead to something that will yeah. help you out is neat. And I obviously you've seen stuff like that in uncharted and a mirror's edge but the fact that they do manage to kind of ground it in a relatively natural setting and it does at least tie into the plot in a way that say it feels uncharted, a bit more like an doesn't. actual diegetic kind of hidden language thing like a sign yeah. for characters of the world rather than for the player's benefit even though it is also that sure it no it, it's something that does pay off in an interestingly gamey way it is it's, funny though it's that something where like I feel like I could have liked it if I'd just come in at a slightly different point or like I don't know. I, I don't know what it could have done. It could just be a me problem, but like a Far Cry puzzle isn't really a puzzle. It's just a fucking tidbit to make you think you've done something. This game, I think, makes you work for it, but I also didn't enjoy the work. So that I feel a bit no. of a hypocrite. But there are some puzzles, and when I mean urban puzzles, it's like while avoiding the kpa which we've talked about yellow zones in the red zones it's open it's shoot on sight and there's a fucking blimp at all times that will flag up infinite reinforcements on your position which makes some puzzles so irritating as you have to sit and wait for like minutes for this thing to fuck off so you can do a puzzle but i would be like you come across like free warehouses and you have to work out this arcane series of walkways and passages to get beyond a door and that's where it gets irritating because it's all looks so bland even with the visual language that is the issue yeah is that it does very much because it has to be a realistic urban environment sometimes that does come at the risk of well not 
like it kind of feels like your character should li- like is from Philadelphia or is kind of local enough that he should know this stuff. But even with a mini map, that's not super well oh, no. communicated to you. The mini map, even with like, using dots on the map, it sometimes doesn't help because the one I just complained about. In one of the yellow zones, you're in a very built-up area, like, you know, kind of multi-story apartment blocks, and some of the windows are open, and those you can go in those, and you have to go in and activate a radio to liberate a stronghold. This mm-hmm. game's kind of version of towers or fucking base liberation or whatever. And I had to, like, I looked at the balcony, I looked at the scaffolding, and I was tracing it backwards from the ground level while avoiding soldiers like okay what's the entrance and even doing it like that you know what i'd consider the smart way of starting at the end and working backwards it just it it's like un, it's like uh, cables <laughs> when you've got yeah. a bunch of cables knotted up and you have to pull them apart and it's yeah there i mean there's literally moments like that in this game in regards to following cables to yeah. find out where the boxes where you have to use the hacking tool which disables them with an emp but if you get it at just the wrong angle it's not going to activate oh yeah hacking tools yeah those things you use to activate some forklifts yeah yeah sometimes Uh. that one fucked me for a while because i took the break and i came back and i forgot hacking tools existed and i just i walked around a warehouse for like 20 minutes like how do i get up there what do I do? Oh, I throw a hacking tool at a forklift. All right. That was kind of my own fault, but it's Ugh. this game is very unintuitive at times. I'll say that. Like, yeah, just in regards there is... to the hacking tool, but yeah, it's it feels like for I'll say it's much more condensed and much more focused than a Far Cry. Part of the problem is I don't think it can also, I don't think it can figure out the best use of all of its toolkit. No, and do, do you know what I'll say as well? I think the reason that it is more condensed than a Far Cry game probably was an intentional design. Oh, no. That was probably more budget. than it. Yeah, the fact it works um, out to its favor is a yeah, a, it's know, a happy serendipity, accident. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess though, it is funny that we've started talking about Far Cry and the games that kind of Far Cry inspired because the Snake, as you probably remember from the Haze episode. Uh, what what game was it that Ubisoft famously fucked over Hayes on in order to promote? I thought that was Time Splitters. No, 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 no. I mean, what was Ubisoft focusing on instead of like they took money out of Hayes because they wanted to focus on their own projects? Was I actually can't remember. I'm sorry. Was it fucking Homefront? No, it was Far Cry Two. It was Far Cry Two. Yeah. Bad so that makes sense. So literally, right at the beginning of that year, they basically said to um, the hate. The, they said to Free Radical, "Look, fuck you, kiss kiss our butts. Far Cry Two is the future. That's where we're putting our money. You no longer have any money. Just put out Haze, and as a result, like <laughs> Haze doesn't sell. Haze comes out, and it's a, a fucking disaster." <laughs> um sales wise and well actually no because it was uh, number three in the sales for a little bit but then dropped off like a stone immediately afterwards but like the reputation of free radical design was just ruined from that point on they any of the projects that they had sold on their haze engine nobody was interested in because haze was such a technical disaster um they fucked over uh lucasarts fucked them over in two ways one because they had to put more bodies on Hayes to get it over the line, but also they had changed management at LucasArts and they had decided why are we do why are we making games? 
what is the point in this? And they just cut the funding on Battlefront 3. So that didn't go through. And so, yeah, as a result, like, Free Radical was kind of left in a weird period of just, like, drifting away at sea. Like, the last project that they potentially could have, like, kept the lights on for just a little bit longer was they did pitch to Activision whether they wanted a GoldenEye remake, which they mauled for about 20 minutes before saying, no, not at this time. Only for two years later to then do a GoldenEye remake with Eurocom. So, Great. Lovely story. Awesome. Very, awesome. very, very happy and fulfilling. And I, I don't know, this game, this miniseries we're doing is called Future Perfect, but I fucking well think it could be Sins of the Past is just as much an appropriate title because they just keep getting fucking haunted by ghosts of their goddamn past. Oh, fucking GoldenEye 007 keeps coming back to haunt them. Yeah, um, well, also, just in a, a thought I had months ago, Rare also were, uh, you know, the masters of the collectathon, which, in my mind, I consider, <laughs> okay, right. in my mind, I consider the, you know, the base, the predecessor to the modern checklist kind of free roamer. The That's funny, because the cause my checklist. boiling hot take was that we don't really get a game like the original Far Cry or Far Cry 2 without GoldenEye being, well, you could just go to the end of the level. But actually, we would want you to do little missions in between and do, like, go off and solve little problems and stuff like that. And the harder you make the game, the more little stuff you can do. And that kind of naturally then evolves into what Far Cry 2 is, which is, yeah, you can do story missions, but you can also wander off and do these little activities that will actually have, like... Because the only reason you did it in GoldenEye was to you know, get silver and... Well, it was like time splitters. You did it for bragging rights. But then what Ubisoft figured out was, I guess, people way before Ubisoft, because, like, the open-world FPS game wasn't invented with Far Cry 1 or Far Cry 2. Like, it existed before then. But, like, they figured out the appeal of, well, if you liberate a base that removes enemies from that area, will flag up stuff that you can collect, which otherwise you would have had to have been lucky and found that stuff on your own. Hey, Maybe we can use these spaces as well as, like, for replenishing health and buying ammo and stuff like that. So, eventually, you do kind of see the evolution from something like GoldenEye, where you're doing those activities for bonus points, to where we end up now, where the activities are the juice, essentially. Yeah. The kind of extras kind of floated their way to the top. I think it's a potpourri. I, not a potpourri. I think it's a Petri dish. I think we're both kind of... There's a design lineage. I think Collectathon oh, yeah. has had as much to do with it, or maybe a bit less, because what you're saying makes more sense. I definitely... I de yeah. The point I'm kind of making is, there's a horrible, tragic irony in... While I do consider this just the furthest flung reaches from the raw creativity and fun of Time Splitters, there is a sense of coming home to roost in them making what is a modern rendition of a Collectathon game. Yeah, I can. I definitely see that. But that, and that is like such a funny way to think about it because this kind of design, the Assassin's Creed design, does come out of GTA 3. And GTA 3 doesn't exist without Super Mario 64 or Banjo Kazooie. So it is all, yeah, it is all it's very a big, short weird. It's not quite linear. It's a web of bizarre connections and creativity yeah. and influences. That, I mean, that's the fun of the podcast, is just being able to like. Yeah, just pull it at roots and see where it. Yeah, see where it pulled from. Like the amount of stuff that, like, 
Medal of Honor wasn't like fucking Steven Spielberg's kids were playing Goldeneye and he said, huh, what if I could do that before my new film, Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. And that's how we end up with the FPS game that invents the fucking modern military shooter. Yeah, that was that's what led to Medal of Honor, and Medal of Honor was usurped by Call of Duty, and then which Medal had of the, Honor tried to... Which had the developers, <laughs> and yeah. the fucking, the Allied Assault Medal of Honor developers went to form Infinity Ward. It's mad. It's bizarre. It's just... Yeah, no, games are a horrible, small, incestuous space... They really are. And the worst thing is, it's just the fact that, because not only does Goat and I keep coming back to haunt them, but the fact that Ubisoft destroyed, well, I mean... It crippled them. It crippled them. Yeah, it was a death by a thousand blows. It, was, it wasn't just that, but it's like probably basically, the biggest... they just, they took beating after beating making great games until they didn't make great games, but kept going. So there were two interesting facts that I found out, which I'm just going to very quickly slip in, which I think you might find in... Well, actually, three interesting facts that you might find interesting. Second Sight was originally going to be made at Activision. Uh Uh-huh. And then... That was was their big first pitch, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. that was was Redemption, which they originally pitched to IDOS. IDOS went under, they took it to Activision, and basically their selling point was, hey, we have half a game here. Are you interested? And what happened was was that Activision took them on for a couple of months, paid the bills, and then they changed hands, and Bobby Kotick got involved and basically said to him three things. We don't like working with outside developers. We don't like working with UK developers. And we certainly don't like working with developers who want to keep their own IP. Oh, Right. All three of those things <laughs> apply to Free Radical Design Limited. And so they were taken off of the project. The reason they went to Codemasters is because um, Carl Hilton knew somebody there. And Codemasters were basically at a bit of a financial low point. And the big appeal to them was, oh, you have a finished game. <laughs> that won't sure. cost much to get out there. No, we'll throw a tiny bit of marketing behind it. And how we'll maybe we'll help you out with doing a PC port. But... Yeah, we just need a dub. Like we just need to keep the lights on for a little bit, and that's kind of how, that's how Second Sight happens at um, fucking uh, Codemasters. When they originally pitched it to IDOS as Redemption, this isn't that I didn't know. Um, do you know who um, the St- is his name? Steve Jackson, the fighting fantasy guy. Steve Jackson. Became... I thought he was in tabletop games. Unless no, he is. Yeah, he's the head oh. of um, Games Workshop. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, that makes sense with it, the UK side of things, and they did used to do games development in the eighties and I think early nineties. Yeah. Uh, sorry, even sorry, not um, Steve Jackson. Ian Livingston, who is the guy who invented the fighting fantasy books, where it's like. You see an orc. If you want to punch him, go to page six. Oh, yeah. If you want to run away, go to page 17. But he was also the head of um, Games Workshop, but he was also the head of IDOS at the time. He said that, we'll do redemption with you, but can you please add demons to it? <laughs> oh, that would be lame. That's, <laughs> the, that, yeah. That'd be so lame. Thank the, the, God that They got happen. lucky by IDOS going to so that they didn't have to make a supernatural spy game for them. Oh my god, that yeah, that's I'm glad that didn't happen, even though it's another just kind of horrible part of their history. They these developers are <laughs> cursed, man. Well well, here's Ironically. the final bit of the curse. 
Because I remember listening back, well, I was listening back previously to the Science Splitters free episode that we did where I was like, oh, actually, EA, you know, uh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, uh, EA, fucking even worse than I thought. They basically said to him, this game's not going to sell unless you have a lead character in it. And they basically pushed over a picture of Vin Diesel <laughs> across the table and said, this guy, please. <laughs> and so... Well, that's how he ended with Cortez being the lead throughout. I don't know. I don't think that's a sign of EA being evil. And they are evil. I'm not going to fucking pretend for a sec, but that's just really funny. No, um, according to Doke, EA Partners was this part of EA that was involved with third-party things. EA Partners is still around. They're doing that fucking... They're doing that new Omega Force game, which just looks like Monster Hunter, which is so bizarre that it's an EA game, but, you know, whatever. Alright, according to Doke, it, it was a bit like being groomed, you know? Oh. <laughs> Here's all these friendly, avuncular people that will give you all the love and attention you need to get your game out. And then after a while, they go away. And all the bad guys come around, and it's like you're in Borstal, getting held down, beating around the head with a cue ball and a sock. <laughs> Fucking hell. Is how he described working with EA. Because I, was they, he watching the movie Scum before he came into this interview? Yeah, he was. The, the, um, him and EA were all watching Scum at the same time, and he <laughs> said, hmm, these guys get the right idea. Um, in retrospect, what happened after Time Splitters 2 was that EA saw the Metacritic and came to us, says Ellis. I don't actually think they'd look at the game very much. The publisher demanded Future Perfect have a strong lead character in order for that to appeal to the US market. Which made sense, but yeah, apparently they gave him pictures of Vin Diesel, but they also pushed over pictures of like Wesley Snipes in his Blade outfit. I was like, can we get characters like this? I think it's a shame that we didn't get a character like Blade. No, I, ca- I can't think of a Wesley Snipes Blade character. That would have been bizarre. The, in the zombie level, they could have replaced uh, Mary Jo Beth with Blade. Yeah, oh, but okay, keep yes. the shirt, obviously. Oh, yeah, no. The, uh, what, <laughs> a slut, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just have, just have a Wesley Snipes analogue wearing a slut shirt. He's just dressed like, yeah, a Hot Topic team, but it's just Wesley Snipes. He has very obviously photoshopped eyes open on him. God. Throughout the development of Future Perfect, we had EA people all the time coming to us and saying, yeah, your game's okay, but not as good as the GoldenEye game that we're making. Yeah, about that. Yeah, they just get coming in and fucking big dogging them about how fucking good Rogue Asian was going what to be. What the fuck is wrong with the universe that this just kept happening? No, I know, and it's... Bizarre, like just all these publishers just kept fucking <laughs> big dog. Like, and I'm not saying that oh they should have paid them respect because they invented Goldeneye. And, but you it's know, like yes, yeah, the bizarre amount of trouble and cruelty they faced, and here we are years later, and I am at least kind of shitting on their last effort. As of now, last effort. Hopefully, not forever. Last effort. <laughs> No, we do talk about that a little bit in regards to Embracer, maybe. And I say may, because we haven't seen anything yet. My money is on, if we do see any Embracer projects, it will probably be like a Battle of Bikini Bottom, Destroy All Human Style HD remaster of the second one. That seems like a safe bet. Yeah. But even then, that's not like a complete safe bet, because we haven't heard or seen anything yet. They only incorporated in 2001, though, so we might be a bit of a ways off seeing anything. But, yeah, so they just kept getting fucking 
dogged from like every corner and as a result yeah just come like christmas 2008 they're all ready to like receive their bonuses and they have to come out and tell like 140 members of staff you're not back in in the new year with going into administration like um interestingly enough one of the develop one of the publishers that nearly bought them out was rebellion which I mean, I'm interested in doing Rebellion on the podcast at some point because they are such a weird, long-running UK developer and publisher. And like, I can see in my head, yeah, like Free Radical are a good fit for Rebellion. They have a very similar temperament and, you know, probably shared a lot of talent because the British games industry is only as big as it is. But yeah, as a result, no offers were made until... Much like the episode of The Simpsons where the Germans buy out the power plant, um, Crytek bought Free Radical Design Limited because, funnily enough, they had also partnered with EA for Crisis, which seemed to go swimmingly well, probably because no Americans knew how to speak German and could go in and fucking big dog them, so they had no idea what was going on. Yeah, a bunch of American guys coming in and... Just going, uh, schnell, schnell. Schnell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just, yeah, they're just like looking at Crisis with its like fucking photo leaves and going, oh yeah, we got, um, we got a Bond game, I guess. Doesn't look like this. <laughs> we got nothing. Maybe they might have been humbled after fucking Rogue Agent shat the pet. Dassy Spond. <laughs> yeah, Dassy Spond, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, Crytek interesting developer, um, mostly because it's like one of those classic stories of uh, Turkish German brothers like formed a games company like in their bedroom essentially because they were all like in the demo scene and then said, "Oh, we're all very good at programming. Why don't we put like put a demo together?" And uh, in '99 they put out this thing called Exile, which is this tech demo for this like you know. Not pre, it's sort of like real time rendered island with like lush trees and stuff and dinosaurs wandering about, which is very exciting. Um, Nvidia see this and they go, We're showing this at E3 this year to like promote our cards. And as a result, Crytek just become like white hot for like yeah. the next few years because nobody's seen technology like this. Ubisoft cuts them a deal and says, We will fund a full version of Exile. And that becomes the first Far Cry game. Uh-huh. Then they <laughs> then they take the IP and walk away. Well, in two thousand and four, the German police turn up at the crack tech offices because they're using crack copies of Photoshop and <laughs> fucking three DS. Which just makes me laugh so much because. Uh, you know, when I was in university, I may have dabbled in, uh, you know, pirated versions of the software, but I didn't decide to start a company and make a incredibly successful game out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, they were kind of left at wit's end, and Ubisoft basically said, yeah, we'll help you out, but we want the IP. EA, co- EA comes fucking flying in and says, hey, bad news, guys, but do you want to partner up on something? And... Crisis, oh, the Crytek looking to still have some kind of control over IP. They say, well, Far Cry's just a name, who cares? Give it to Ubisoft, well, sell it to Ubisoft, buddy up with EA, and that's how we end up with Crisis. But also how we also end up with 
all the weird Far Cry spin-offs like Evolution and Primal Instinct and Velociraptor, whatever the fuck <laughs> Yeah, Far Cry Engine. Velociraptor, I remember that one. It's the last game. I will say, it is it is weird that they haven't made a Far Cry game with dinosaurs in it yet, considering that's like where the original demo began. Well, they like, made Primal, and I've probably told the story, but I have wanted a good caveman game forever. Yeah. And I was watching like the stream and I was like, oh, tr- you know, tribal kind of cave paintings, whatever. Like it had a countdown. I was like, this could be cool. This could be cool. And then Far Cry appeared on screen. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, I was immediately disappointed. I was watching that fucking live stream review. I was like, fuck. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And it's so funny because it's all the Ubisoft stuff of like, oh, we hired a linguistic expert to come up with a conlang of what we would believe that, you know, cavemen spoke to each other. Like, they go through all of that stuff, but also, yeah, there's like Flintstone Towers, I guess. <laughs> there's the Flintstone bases, too. <laughs> you get in a little car and you wobble your legs and it goes really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Become apparent, I had purchased the fucking caveman's car. The, the caveman car, if you if you bump it too many times, it sets on fire, and then you get an achievement for inventing fire. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that game needed dinosaurs, which unfortunately wouldn't have made sense because there's another problem with Ubisoft. They are way too self serious. They are, they are the, pretentious the, the, the wankers. Pretentious. That's the problem. Which we also know they're about sex that. pests. That's another problem. <laughs> <laughs> They're also all of them are <laughs> allegedly, allegedly all sex. No, tests, please allegedly. sue me. You are not alleged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would like. I would like to separate. Time and myself would like to separate ourselves from some the words current of the Do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of, Bullet <laughs> of the Bullet Time, Time Podcast. Allegedly, take him to court, not me, please. Thank you. Um. And yeah, and the weird thing is, is that because of this EA deal that they have, they still get to keep the license of their uh, proprietary engine. And eventually, with Crisis, they release CryEngine, and it goes on to be this like, like there's a weird time where it was well, like Crisis that, and uh, the meme can it run Crisis because uh, at yes. the higher ends it was an absurdly good looking you know absurdly good looking game very hard I, to I, run I can't run it on my computer it's still uh, too advanced for that wow. unfortunately so I'll never <laughs> I'll have to play Warhead on the Xbox <laughs> to see what it's like but um, yeah but like everybody was into the Cry Engine and that's how we ended up with like. Prey, State of Decay, everyone's gone to the rapture, and most importantly to you, Snake. Sonic Boom. Rise of Lyric is made in, in Crying. <laughs> I had that one in the bag because I'm a. Yeah, sad I'm, man. I, I, that's funny. I had that written down. Yeah. But... No, I, I followed the pre release. Yeah, I heard it's like, oh, we've got. It's on Crytek, and you think it's the ugliest, most boring game ever made. But also, it was like, why did you use Crytek so we could have massive environments, right? But CryEngine wasn't designed to run on the Wii U. Oh yeah, we know that. So there's going to be some technical hiccups and it's like, oh, but then what was the point? It's almost <laughs> like these people weren't quite sure what they were doing. It was almost like Sega didn't really give them a lot of like direction or anything mm. like It was that. like big Just red it... button. You've got former Uncharted devs. It's like, wow. Yeah, and um, Sanzaru, whatever they're called. Um, the, uh, not Sanzaru, um, Sucker Punch. People who made... Yeah. Uh, 
thingy bubble. Um, but Crisis is a big success for EA and for Crytek, and eventually they do two more games. And they are flush with cash, so they decide it's time to expand. So they buy a studio in Kiev, a studio in South Korea, and perhaps most interestingly in 2008, pulling them out of the midst of administration, they buy Free Radical Design and rename them Crytek UK. Yep. Which makes sense, because I don't know about the original Crysis. Does the original Crysis even have a multiplayer mode? I don't know, actually. No, n- I, neither do... I think uh, it does, but I could well be wrong. I remember that the second and the third one, the big selling point was... Uh, we've gone back into the car engine and we're going to make it run really good on the 360 and PS3. Yeah, there's a lot of conflicting statements about their intentions with Crisis 2 um, and 3, which can sound rather condescending if you dig into, like, oh, we wanted to get this to a bigger market, so thing, and we wanted to streamline it, but we also wanted it for more. I don't know. It's a bizarre... it's them trying to, in the best terms possible, say we are just we want a game that will sell better. I, Whilst yeah, also I'm, not sounding like we have given up on the ideals we kind of had with Crisis being this big fucking, you know, graphics pushing game. Sure, I kind of get it in regards to like you've proven that you can make the best looking game on the PC, but like the next trick is. Can you pull that off? Like, I can see that from the aspect of, oh, I mean, if you can pull that, that off on consoles, That would have probably been then... the smart thing to say. That's not what they said. No, and also, like, this was 2010, which means they would have been in the arms race of Unreal, who, hey, we got the Unreal Engine working on the iPhone. Hey, you can make AAA-level experiences on a fucking mobile phone. And so they were probably looking at this like, oh... If we want to be successful as an engine, we have to like be everywhere. And this I can also say it, it was kind of a down period for PC gaming as well because uh, yeah. the effects of Microsoft paying a bunch of studios to not release their games on PC. Um, it's gotten a lot better since, and there were good PC games at the time. But yeah, that was when it was like, hey, uh, if you want this, you buy a console, you get on three sixty. Yeah, like, it was weird. They built games with, like, the 360 money. And I always think it's weird because it feels like it was the original idea of the Xbox, like, the first one that they made in 01 was, well, it's a PC in your living room, which is why it's got a Thief game and a Deus Ex game and, like, you know, all these relatively well-known PC franchises. They tried to make Xbox... Like, Rollercoaster Tycoon has an Xbox port, which is so weird, but... Then the 360 comes around, and they basically do manage to achieve that, but by being dead cheap, a really easy way to get into HD content, and the online stuff is robust enough that you don't feel like, oh, well, I need a PC for like that experience. But then, yeah, as you said, as a result, it creates this weird schism where console design becomes PC, like consoles become the premier platform, and everything's kind of designed around console control schemes and console limitations. I mean, fucking, that's what happened to Deus Ex um, Invisible War, Yep, where the original game was designed with the fact that they had 128 mega standard on PCs, whereas the original Xbox only had 64. And, and so uh, all these huge environments had to be, like, shrank. Especially like, because they wanted lighting effects and physics oh, yeah. and 
Uh, it's funny, actually. There's a couple fun things about this game. Well, the one I will say is uh, the game crashes and resets between every level load. <laughs> Apparently, it just needs to do that. That might actually, you know what? In a way, that might actually work for its favor. I don't know because if you do it, yeah, you're I guess it, it clears zero. RAM, I suppose. Yeah, but, yeah. And uh, just the other one, which was just the funny name it had, which was Deus Xbox. Oh uh, yeah, it's the Deus most Xbox. obvious joke in the world, but you got to make it because you got to do it. They've consolified a PC classic. I will say though, Crisis Two. If your big selling point is this is console crisis. Yeah, making it look good is pretty good. But also, if you can have the people who made one of the best console multiplayer games considered of all... Like, probably at this point, people would think that Time Splitters 2 is a certified, like, solid gold game. Yeah. Hopefully. Oh, those guys are making your Crisis multiplayer? I have to buy this game. And so it's win-win, essentially, for fucking Crytek. Yeah, I we talked about this in an earlier episode, and I remember what I said, um, which was, you know, having free radical guys just doing your multiplayer for a crisis game, it's like having Shakespeare locked up in your shed and making him write adverts. It's yeah. A criminal, it's a criminal kind of underutilization of the talent you have. It's, the, it's Beethoven writing fucking Tesco jingles. It's- yeah. Was ridiculous, you know. And you have, the, and I mean, it's good and bad because yeah, they save them from oblivion. But I don't know. It's like it's a dark period, you know, or it's just a kind of meandering it is, one. It's you've got it, these people who could make absolute bangers, but they just don't have the resources or sway or power to do it anymore. Effectively neutered and working for a company that made I don't know fine games. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, cri- I mean, Crisis Two. I have played it. It's okay, is how I would describe it. Might be a game. Will probably it's a game of a quality that I would say I we played would probably a cover bit of one, a bullet a bit time. of two. Um, and you know, the fact I haven't finished either is why I hold the opinion I just presented. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, Crisis is nobody's. Crisis One, I can see people's favorite. There's some people who genuinely like Crisis One because it has a lot of the good elements of Far Cry, which is freedom of approach and all of that. Big winding levels and the nano suit does let you have some fun with it. Like you can, you know, turn on strength and throw barrels at people or throw cars or toss, you know, enemies into the lakes or whatever. And you know, it is funny because when you were talking, when you were talking earlier about like what the appeal is of a sandbox, that is the stuff that I think has taken me. 25 odd years to figure out oh that's the that's the juice with a sandbox gamers and i hate to bring it up as an example because i'm the only person on this podcast who likes it that much but breath of the wild i think was probably <laughs> the one that people that that was basically that that was the thing that unlocked people's brains of figuring out what we like about sandbox games which is oh if i shut this shrub on fire then the fire can propagate and set some shit on fire that is cool Oh, I can use this metal box to, like, attract electricity and stuff. Like, all that kind of, like, chemistry and physics stuff playing off each other. That's the juice of a sandbox game. For me, and it might become an episode in future, might not. It's one I suggested and pushed. was a Boiling Point. Yes. Boiling Point predates, I believe, or, like, it it does what Far Cry was doing, but it does it earlier and better. Um, Mm. Which is basically... 
you're a single person in a large roaming country and you've got one objective, which is find your daughter. And then you can go around and you can do objectives, you can make connections and you can learn stuff. And it does have a lot of Far Cry-isms, but yes. the world is very set, it's very hostile and you just feel like a part of it. And you you get side missions to like, oh, assassinate this guy, go here and do this. But because of the hostility and danger of the world and your own relatively lacking abilities... The world feels very, very... It forces you to play clever and go above your means. And yep. that's kind of what I like in a sandbox. I like a sandbox to be not necessarily here is a world with a bunch of repeat objectives that you as this great player can achieve in it. For me, sure. a good sandbox is this whole world is a challenge. It's on you to overcome it. Yeah, I and I totally see... I mean, it's funny because I was thinking of... Um... And I think, I'm going to be honest, because I don't, Breath of the Wild is my favourite Legend of Zelda game, but just because I don't consider it very much like Zelda games. The other I Zelda, well, yeah, no, the other I Zelda dislike. is Zelda. But yeah. I see where you're coming from in that, like, the whole world feels like this series of systems that you can learn to use to overcome challenges. I wish the challenges were harder, and I wish they were yeah. a bit more, I wish they were a bit more varied in their approach. That's kind of, Breath of the Wild, I had fun in it for about 10 hours, and I was, then I was like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, on a loop now. I feel like I'm going back to where I started and just doing the same things and it's not engaging. No, I, I do, no, I think that's the, like, Breath of the Wild has the potential of, it has an incredibly over-engineered system for solving problems, mm. but the problems are still classic Legend of Zelda problems where they were only ever really designed with one solution. But when you then do achieve solutions through other means, that makes you feel really good. Yeah. The game isn't really built around See, I have a very... I made a video on it, I think. I actually can't remember the own videos I've made, but I don't know if it's a problem that game developers can solve because it's very tricky to pass, which is... And I think Boiling Point does do this, which is, in Boiling Point, managing to pull off the simple solution feels satisfying because, like, yeah. say you've got an enemy, you need to think, if you can get in position and snipe that person, one bullet, bang, in and out, it feels satisfying because you know all of the issues you've avoided. Whereas in Breath of the Wild, you can mostly just go in with your sword and mop up the problem. So it's like sure. any it's like doing any solution that's more eclectic or clandestine or crazy is actually more work than the simple solution and you haven't actually expended much. Or you haven't actually um, yeah. saved much that you would have expended. And it's funny because Breath of the Wild has the same issue that MGS5 does, which MGS5 doesn't exist without Far Cry 3 or 2. Yeah. Which is, yeah, you have like, you have, yeah, you have 15 different solutions to stuff, but there is always a guaranteed solution. And that pretty much just flattens choice for yeah. the most part. Like which, you can, you can get a bunch of boxes and trick mines and Fultons and throw magazines, or you can park your ass like a kilometer away with a Trank sniper. And why do anything but that? And it's funny because it feels like, MGS5 has been out now since what, eight years. It will be eight years old this year. But nobody's quite figured out how to, the, the solution to that, which is, will create situations where parking a car and doing that isn't going to be the solution. But because it aims for this kind of level of naturalism and, well, you know, it's a war zone. So, you know, war zone stuff will make, like. You got to do they, what you got to do. You just do what you do, you know? Yeah, it makes sense from a pragmatic perspective, but 
The problem is pragmatism is often very dull. Rational decisions yeah. and optimization, a lot of people strive for that. And I kind of, you know, it feels satisfying to be, op to be optimized, but also you have to fight a player's instinct to kind of put them in a position where they have to do something more crazy and daring. But then if you force that, then you've got the opposite problem. It's a never-ending cycle. By the way, folks, I will say at home, everything that we're kind of saying here, this also very much applies to Homefront yeah, Revolution. We haven't gone completely off the rails, even the, though... No, we have not gone off the rails, because this is all... Because Homefront Revolution is very much a modern-style Far Cry 3 game, it's, and like... It's along the path we're talking about. It's like yeah. on the same road, which... Which... If you have an open world and you have multiple approaches to stuff, encourage that rather than... Do you know what that's funny? And it, again, it's another stupid tangent that I'm taking, but it feels like the only game that I know of that I've played that kind of fixes that problem, but it does it in the most blunt force way possible, is Super Mario Odyssey, which forces you to engage with other mechanics because unlike Zelda where you can just use a sword for everything... Every single scenario in Odyssey is handcrafted around one solution, but they're mm. all incredibly varied solutions. Yeah. Which, it, that that's a way to fix it, but that still doesn't quite get to, I guess, what we both we want, which is improv. It's, um, and another game that kind of had the opposite problem lately, and this is a, you know, genre of open world, but different approach. Uh, we both played it, Sonic Frontiers. I like oh, yes. I like Frontiers, but that game feels like a serving menu of just doing every mechanic it has over and over again. And it's like, do you remember this mechanic? Do the mechanic and you get the thing. And it's like, okay, all right. Um, but there's no real nuance to it. There's no real, well, like, you can't, as Sonic, think, oh, there's a thing up there. Well, I'll cleverly run down this hill, up this valley, do a big jump and skip to the end. It's, oh, there's a rail, I'll use the rail then. Oh, there's a clearly delineated wall jump section, I'll do the wall jump section. It's the problem with a lot of open world games in that sometimes they off... They, oh, a lot of the time they feel no more advanced than the fucking like, educational games I played as a kid where the solution yeah. was, do you remember this thing? Do the thing. Cool, you've learned. Uh, have a, press, have pre a thing. Press a button in yeah. time. Follow a button... And it's so funny, and I'm shocked that I haven't really seen, I mean, you know, long enough timeline, maybe we will, but Sonic Frontiers feels like the Emperor has no clothes, but for like this entire genre of games, where it's so kind of blatant in its design, but it is so evocative of everything else that you can use Frontiers essentially as your tubular rasa to kind of like pull this genre apart, because... Yeah, as because... You said, all of the rails and floating platforms, it's just what all these other games are doing, but stripped of artifice. Exactly. Yeah, it, Sonic is so... Which, again, like, that's kind of a thing that I like about Sonic the Hedgehog anyways, is that it does lean on the art. Like, it, that is part of the fact that it is has a postmodern art aesthetic to it, is that it leans into that stuff. It doesn't go, oh, well, you know, why would there be bumpers? It's like, because it's a video game. Because he's a video game character, that is why there are bumpers. Like that. But... You play it and you go, oh, Breath of the Wild is like this, except that it's not floating rails, it's randomly placed enemies in an environment where they probably wouldn't be naturally, or it's Korok puzzles, or it's tr treasure chests and stuff like that, and you go, oh, this is just Tony Hawk on steroids. <laughs> this is, you chain from one activity to another, to another, to another, because it's the dopamine hit of, 
I'm constantly doing stuff. I'm constantly achieving. Again, like Homefront the Revolution, that's the magic trick, is that as long as they can keep you doing stuff and you're having a good time, you stick with it. And that's, going back to Far Cry, that was a part of where my disillusionment came from, is you do this same song and dance enough times, you start realizing... It's like seeing the fucking code in the Matrix. You see, you see the strings. Yeah, yeah you, you see, see the strings. The, like, I've been here before. I've done this. Why am I still doing this? Next year, they'll just throw me another plate of gruel to pick through. And it's it's a different. Yeah, it's a different world. It's a different antagonist, but it's the same. And it was so funny because I had never properly played Far Cry Two until a couple of weeks now, ago. Far Cry Two works better for a lot of the reasons I talked about, which yes. is. The artifice is a lot better. The map is a diegetic object. It's a lot of it is framing. A lot of framing, a, yeah. a little framing yeah, yeah, yeah. can go a long way. And with Far Cry, you don't clear out checkpoints because they'll always come back. So they're always a threat. So the world always yeah. feels hostile. And it's why the game works better, in my opinion, because. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree. With, and it's funny because I played Free first, and I've played games like Free for the past. 15 odd years or whenever well free came out in what 2012 2013 so yeah over a decade at this point and they all follow the same template the same song and dance but you play two which is like basically it's not i wouldn't even call it the rough prototype because it has basically all the stuff that that free had but it is just so much more a meaner game and has so much friction to it because again it is going for a very specific tone. I mean, the tone, I mean, it's fucking heart of darkness. It's, I'm in a place I don't like and I'm going mental and then it turns out I'm as bad as the villain. You know, that's the story. But it has wildfires. It has all these kind of enemy factions that hate you. And it is a mean game. Like, the map is a, the mini map is a physical map that you have to pull out like Minecraft <laughs> to figure out where to go. And just that element of, oh, I could like, okay, so if I need to drive a place, I know I need to turn a left here and then follow over the bridge and then turn a, and just those little bits of movement was really cool. But then in Far Cry 3, they smooth all that stuff down to make it a more appealing thing. And again, I had never played a game like Far Cry 3 when it came out. Loved it. I mean, because the game is literally just, rather than Heart of Darkness, is, have you ever read um, Alex Garland's The Beach? I have never it's, read The Beach. I, have you seen the film The Beach? Uh, the Shyamalan film. No, no. <laughs> well, old. The Beach That Makes You Old. Yeah, or the old The Beach That Makes You Old. No, I've not. Uh, no. Okay, so basically it is literally just about an American backpacker who discovers this, like, island which is decadent and is next to a weed farm and, you know, it's like paradise on Earth, but then, oh, it turns out actually maybe not as uh, cool as he thought. And then he takes so many drugs that he loses his mind, essentially. Doesn't that sound a lot like Far Cry 3? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, that's Ubisoft. They read a book and say, oh, that's our next game. And, you know, they did Heart of Darkness and then they did The Beach and then they said, actually, every single Far Cry game that we make is just going to be The Beach, but in different places from now on. It's bizarre as well, because even their fucking villains are repetitive. They did rise and yeah. they're like, oh, cool, charismatic crazy guy. That's our template from now on. The villain is kind of right. That's even funnier than that, though, was that they tr they tried three different villains and then said, "Oh, well, what were the one in three? Well, he was a um, better call Saul guy. Oh, let's get John Carlo Esposito <laughs> for Far Cry Six. 
we're we're gonna get fucking we're we're gonna get Walt. Well, not Walt. Hell so yeah, let's just get Brian Cranston. We'll, we will get we will get. Cr- oh no! Imagine that they're like, oh okay, we hear you loud and clear. We got the main character of Better Call of uh, Breaking, but it's Aaron Paul as the next <laughs> villain in uh, Far Cry. I'd be okay with that, actually. I mean, I won't Aaron- play it, but uh, I'd be okay. Oh no, with I'm it. not gonna play it, but I'll appreciate it. <laughs> um, fuck, I'm trying to remember. We we've gone. We have done laps around this game at this point, developmentally, gameplay-wise, its influences. So why did Crytek make a Homefront? Why did they make a Homefront sequel? Okay, actually, yeah, let's just talk about now. So, Homefront The Revolution, uh, which is is a Ubisoft-style sandbox developed by Dam Busters, is a soft reboot of an earlier game called Homefront. Published by THQ and developed by Chaos Studios, who had only made two games, their last one being Homefront, and the game before being called Frontline's Fuel of War, which, do you know anything about that? Uh, no, I've heard the name. I get. I think it's an online-only multiplayer shooter game. Uh-huh, which has some, like, it has a campaign mode, which is essentially just remix multiplayer with, like, well, rather than bots, it's all kind of... Uh, this is a bullet, this is a bullet time game, full stop, as in... Nobody bought it, nobody played it, but weirdly ambitious ideas in regards to the game. The So the multiplayer has a system called the front line. And essentially the way that maps work is that it's like gridiron football, where you are constantly moving the front line forward into the enemy's like base, or they're pushing it towards yours. Ah. And how you, basically the way that you push the front line is either by shooting, like, people on the other team, you know, regular team deathmatch, or by doing objectives. It was one of the first early multiplayer games where they tried to weave in small objectives, like assassinate a VIP or, like, you know, steal some stuff. That sounds very cool and a little overcomplicated. A little bit, but they... Basically, Homefront was... the, The plan with that was that, hey... You guys have something really cool with the frontline system. That's the multiplayer, but you need a single player campaign. And they go off and they do research and they decide, well, Half-Life 2, that's the gold standard. We're going to make our own Half-Life 2 style game. And Call of Duty is already teasing the idea of going into Modern Warfare. And they go, right, we're going to do the same thing as well. What can be our unique selling point? And they decided... What if we did speculative fiction because America hasn't really got any enemies at the moment? Ha ha. So what if we create one? What if we, you know, rather than aliens or anything like that, what if we do a speculative fiction thing of another superpower decides to invade the US? And shit, it cannot be China. They get John Milius involved, who was the right-wing crank who wrote Conan the Barbarian and Red Dawn, and he said... Well, those Chinese, you know, them communists, they're the they're the enemy. They need to be, you know, they're the ones to worry about. Now, they decided to replace them with unified Korea for two reasons. One, the risk of a possible backlash by the Chinese Ministry of Culture, and the reality of economic independence between America and China that made the Chinese, quote unquote, not that scary. <laughs> I, so now you've got the author of Red Dawn and he has to write a plausible scenario where Korea can unify and pose a credible threat to the US. Well, even better than that, 
John Millis doesn't have to do anything. As oh. according to Chaos writer C.J. Kirshner, who wrote the script, he said, Millis didn't write a single word, but he did consult with us during the writing. He just sat in a room talking about how much he hated the... He, he sat in a I room counting the out the dollar bills <laughs> yes. that they pay. Because John Millius is, he's, you know, he's a gold standard guy as well. They couldn't cut him, they couldn't pay it into his debit account. They had to pay him in actual dollars. And he was probably just licking them and putting them <laughs> on the table. <laughs> one by one. Um, so, yeah, uh, Homefront, um, just to, for people who haven't played the game, is set in a wacky universe where. Following the death of King Jong-il, um, his son, King Jong-un, peace- peacefully reunified North and South Korea, combining the North's military and the South's economic strength. Meanwhile, a war between Iran and Saudi Arabia causes oil supplies to skyrocket, which, funnily enough, that is also the plot of Frontline's Fuel of War. So they were already on this oh, thing same of, universe. What if fuel becomes too expensive? I don't know. Um... So in 2022, the U.S. has been further crippled by bird flu and the global financial crisis, which... Huh. Mm, you know what? Okay. Maybe, maybe we should keep an eye on Korea. Yeah, maybe. And then in 2025, so two years' time, Korea launches a satellite that fires an, MP, an EMP that wipes out America's electrical infrastructure. They then invade the U.S. and conquer it. And the game picks up in 2027, where you're a resistance fighter. And you basically fight the resistance, and then the end of the game is the EU decides, "Hey, you're, hey, you're good. Let's help you out." And that's that's Homefront One. They redo the reason they they redo the world history in Homefront: The Revolution to yeah. make it. I don't even know if you'd call it better or worse. Just I, different, I, st- stupider. Is yeah, what I, it is definitely dumber. I will say though, so. I couldn't quite get a reason for why Crytek wanted the Homefront IP, but they basically agreed with THQ, yeah, you got you got juice here and we're going to support you. To the extent of when THQ then went into administration in like 2013. Oh, actually, sorry, just a quickly yes. thing. So the first Homefront, because I played a little yeah, sorry, as a friend owner, just so we can quickly sum up what it actually is in play. It's a very boring Call of Duty-esque game at the end of it. Yeah. It's very bland. It's very set-piece heavy. It's Call of Duty, but without the money to make the explosions satisfying. Except for one level at the end. So, the funniest thing that's about Homefront... Homefront 1 has this really funny quote attributed to it, which I think I read it... Um, Doc Brufford or whatever his name is, the guy who writes games essays, mentioned it in one of his essays, which was... When Chaos were working on the first Homefront, the writer that they brought on, not Milius, but somebody else, was like, the the plot that you're telling here and the story that you're telling, because like the game begins with a Half Life style. It begins you know, with take- the, it begins with the Modern Warfare intro. You're on a you're being driven past oh, atrocities. Yeah. Oh yeah, which is the classic Half Life. What was the Half? It was the fucking. Um, it's the Epcot Train of Tomorrow where you go past. Okay, here's all the. Th- here's the world that you live in. It's like and, it's yeah. Koreans gunning down civilians and people being blow tortured. a hole in a woman's head and then you watch a child cry for like a minute. So <laughs> yeah, it's get, bizarre. The bus. Do you know that? that. <laughs> do you get it yet? Yeah, do you get that this is bad? Yeah, the bus but, smashes into a row of school children and then reverses. It's bizarre. <laughs> and then does it again. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they write this, and the writer goes, 
why aren't you like using cuts or like anything like why aren't you like using like the language of film to like cut between stuff and they go well here's the thing egghead all right <laughs> you come from the world of scripts you don't do that in games okay um and then when they deliver it and they do a post-mortem they go oh this this story's like really bland because we can only tell it from a single point of view uh, why didn't we use any cuts so the half-life perspective just did not fucking work no, and I mean there's an ever... element of Half Life in uh, the Revolution which doesn't work. So that is true, which we will get to. Yeah, uh, Sony Santa Monica though didn't read that because their selling point for fucking God of War was no cuts, <laughs> no cuts ever, and no oh, cuts, no. no deep cuts, no deep cuts. Um, so what did Crowdsite want to buy? The game sold three hundred and seventy-five thousand on its first day, which it wasn't bad, but the reviews were mixed. And basically, like, IGN said it was too short, but it had interesting moments. And so it's like, okay, maybe it's something that you could, like, polish up. And I guess Crytek maybe just thought, hey, you know, interesting franchise here. And we've made the Koreans the villains before in Crisis. We kn- we know what to do with this. We hate those damn Koreans. Let's get <laughs> <the game laughs> Yeah, going. we got a, we got an issue with them. Even though they, they opened a South Korean studio, they were like, hmm. I don't know, those guys. Maybe that just so, deepened the dis... I don't even know. I'm, I'm treading know, on thin maybe, ice with these bits. Yeah. Crowdsite probably thought that that could be our own Call of Duty, and because it's a... Like, even a bad IP is still a known IP, was probably what they were thinking as yeah, well. Yeah, they, so. they thought they had some brand power to leverage, I guess. So For the home front from, heads out there. They buy it from THQ in 2013, and they basically go, hey... We're not making this for 2HU anymore, so let's try something else. And they decide to give it an open world structure inspired by Crackdown. Uh, at the time, Far Cry wasn't really a thing, but would eventually become a thing very quickly as this game languished in three years of development hell. Right. And yeah, because uh, Crytek went into administration pretty quickly afterwards which is why the game just ended up at damn but well they sold it they sold that and Crytek UK to Koch Media and Deep Silver which is where they got rebranded as Dambuster. Uh the original Homefront director was basically brought in at the time as well to get the project over the line. Um famously this game was released with a ton of technical issues including poor frame rate and bugs. Um, neither of us, I think, experienced no, this. No, we've, we've both come into, death. like, the game has been polished up, though it is still a fucking resource hog. Oh, yes it is. I had to put on two sets of fans because my laptop was overheating all the time. My computer sounded like it was going to explode. I have a 3090 <laughs> and a 590, 50 or whatever. I've got a top-of-the-line PC. This thing was running 100%. Like... That's bizarre. It's not terribly optimized. Terribly well optimized, I'm afraid. Jeez. So we're now at 20 into the podcast. We will now talk about the game and we'll begin by Snake. Um, friend of your channel, Ben Yahtzee Crocher, as zero punctuation names. <laughs> <laughs> named Homefront the Revolution the worst game of 2016, citing Bugs, bad design, and an awful story, and arguing that the game was obviously a bad idea at the concept stage. No, uh, I mean I disagree with that last bit. I also, I, I, I don't know. I played a lot of games in 2016, and I don't, I, 
I mean, he has to play what's, you know, actually popular week on week. So I he's got a very, I, I'm sorry, Artsy, if you are listening to this, which is actually a non-zero chance. That is a not zero But you don't actually yes. play real dregs. You play AAA, which is boring as fuck, but still. Yeah, you are, this you game... are consigned to a certain realm. But this came out the same year as Overwatch. Hey, it's also he's following this the worst oh, game. Oh, that's the point. Yeah, that's the point. Come on. You had the big one looking right at you. And Pony Island as well. You had Jeez. Tracer's fat ass right in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. There it was. <laughs> and you didn't call it the worst game of the year. Uh, Far Cry the Revolution. <laughs> Over on the Revolution, then. Um... Yes. A game that multiple people reached out to tell us that um, is a game that they genuinely really liked, and it they got stopped dog- listening an hour ago. Oh yeah, no, they they, they dipped off when we started talking about Mario Odyssey. <laughs> 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 um, it's yeah, it I, don't is what what well, I, mean, I don't know. Well, let's, let's start with the story, even yeah, though we've so, talked about. Yeah, the let's gameplay. do the plot. Let's, so we got to get to racist Fred Flintstone. We do have to get to racist Fred Flintstone. It's very important. So. The game opens by telling us the new world history, which is really <laughs> funny. Which is unbelievably <laughs> yeah. funny. So, Korea is unified once again, or maybe oh, not no, yet. No, 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 no. 1970, in a, in, in, in a garage in the Silicon Street, or uh, the Silicon, Silicon River. River. So yeah, uh, the Silicon Valley, the Silicon Valley of America doesn't take off, but the Silicon River in Korea does. The tech yeah. boom happens over Which there. Which is a real thing. The, the Silicon River is where like Samsung and LG and all these yeah. South Korean companies are based. But there's one in particular called Apex, and it starts off as like a guy in his garage, like Apple. But then they become, by 2016... They've got the biggest thing. Phones, drones, televisions. So there is, a really, fu- there is a really funny line in this. Because it's like, yeah. yeah, it's presented like this guy's at an Apple keynote. And, you know, he's made phones. He's made computers. And, like, he took off in the 70s and revolutionized computing. And then um, racist Fred Flintstone, who does the opening narration, is like, and when they made guns, we bought them. It's like, imagine if Apple just started selling firearms. <laughs> I'm just like imagining like the Tim Cook like ones that I'm so glad to show you the new iGun and iGun Plus <laughs> subscription and it's like all the bullets have been they all yeah they all look like fucking Mac Minis they're just like <laughs> glossy white and that'd be good yeah. yeah so um and America meanwhile while is is embroiled in a fucking war it's like they the the war in the Middle East just never ended, and it's been a quagmire. And the guns are too good, and it makes the war worse. That's yeah. that's the end of a twist. Um, very boring note that only I care about in the slide when they're like, "We bought their guns." He's uh holding an Apex branded P90, which oh uh, cool. Uh, P90 right. is a Belgian gun, but they're just going for a futuristic looking gun. That's, yeah. that's all I bring up. It's a bullpip, right? Or bullpip style. It's a, it's a personal defense weapon. It's the futuristic looking kind of SMG gun you see in Battlestar Galactica. That's a. That's oh a yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, taken from uh, taken from the original Homefront, um, the oil war still crippled the U.S. So they still have a big economic downturn. They don't mention avian flu this time, which I feel is a bit of a shame. But you know. Yeah. 
But I guess they thought, well, we're closer to 2020. There's no pandemics going on. It's fine. Yeah, that's not that's not even going to happen. We can't see that happening. Um, but the US has basically crippled itself financially, and South Korea has come to call the debt. Yeah, they uh, they <laughs> default on their debt. And by the way, Korea is unified at this point and isn't a communist country. It's yeah. a, it's basically a corporatocracy. It is ran by the Apex Corporation. So I couldn't figure that out from. So did you rewatch the intro and did it say that just I was they just, they, did they just hand wave that they reunified again somehow? I guess I can't fully remember. I could be wrong, but I swear it's like they are basically now ran by a corporation. Yeah, no, it is. It, yeah, it is a corporatocracy. But I do like the idea of just South Korea just selling so many fucking Samsung phones. <laughs> 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 Debt to them. <laughs> so, and because it, all the guns are ran by Apex and they're Apple, and America defaults on its fucking debt. Yeah, America's like, like we're not, we can't pay that. <laughs> so they're like, okay, they flip a switch and all the guns turn off. <laughs> well, not only that, but all all the technology, st- so all of their all of their devices, like all their phones and computers, were built with a back door in according to fred flintstone they all had a back door in them which basically meant yeah they could flip a switch and like the emp of the last game this kind of is the same thing of they just stopped all technology from working and as a result the u.s is completely defenseless and then they come over on boats like they did last time in 2025 two years later like you end up with occupied philadelphia and a lot of other parts of the states yeah and and korea is at first pretending to be magnanimous and they're giving americans food and they're helping them in their shattered economy but under the surface they're evil and slowly their evil becomes clearer and clearer it was a bit that bit was a bit odd because like the way that they worded it was essentially like oh yeah they tried giving us food and stuff but we just didn't like the idea of having food and then they went Oh, if you guys are going to be assholes, we're going to crack out the guns. Then. Could have been like pretense. They were always going to get violent. They were just waiting for Americans to break. Yeah, first. no, I think I think that was probably more. But the way that they worded it was a bit, uh, just the way the game worded it was a bit odd. Yeah, it's, it it's hey, this story is going to be very clunkily told. Oh, and yeah, and in fairness, this is the only bit that is like straightforward. Everything else after this point is in cutscenes and it is impossible to track so yeah this is a very meandering story beyond this point like the backstory is the only part that fucking gets to the point yeah all you all and it, all it needs to set up is uh it looks like your neighborhood but it also looks like terminator but like the future parts of terminator where there's like tanks rolling around and stuff so yeah don't worry about it so you get all that it manages to sum up 50 years of history in a minute. The next, I don't know, two in-game days are going to take a fucking million years. Yes. The way to sum up the way this story is told, because it cuts to you watching a, a news report. And this is all in a first-person perspective, this game. This is, once again, a kind of no-cuts, one sort of deal. Actually, no, it's not quite the case anymore. But basically, you're always going to be in Ethan Brady's head. Who Ethan is Ethan Brady. Brady? What's he about? Who fucking knows? He's a he's a he's a tubular asset. You can insert yourself into Ethan and yeah. Come. And you're watching a news report about uh, Patriots Day or uh, fucking Veterans Day, Liberation or, Day, or something. Yeah, uh, and they tell you today switch that shit off, and you're in a. You're in a rebel outpost and some guy called Walker is coming soon. And Walker 
oh, he's going to scare Mayor Simpson, the defector, the guy who's, you know, sold out to the KPA, the Korean People's Army. But when Walker gets here, he's going to give those traitors what for. Now, quick question. Did you assume that Walker was probably the protagonist of the first home front? I thought he was just a bag of crisps. Sorry, a bad joke. No, I, 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 I don't know what I thought. <laughs> okay, I, I only thought because of the amount of importance that they were putting on this guy and the fact that the story basically two-thirds of the plot is, oh, you got to break him out. He's yeah. too important. I oh, assumed this... that, oh, he must have been the protagonist of the first game. No, I looked it up. No, I have no, no. fucking idea who Walker, Walker is. Just a guy they put That's the bizarrest thing as well, because one of the first lines they say to Brady is, oh, we know what happened in Washington. It was rough. And I had to Google, okay, where'd the first home front take place? Oh, not Washington. No. <laughs> so it's not, it's just, you know, you never really get much about your backstory, but you are a very ta- talented revolutionary. So. You're the most talented revolutionary. You're the only one who fucking does stuff. You're the only person who knows how to hack, even though it looks really... It's just the hacking mini game from fucking Batman Arkham Asylum where you just wiggle the sticks and say you get the thing. They're all, you're also the only man qualified to use bolt cutters, which... Oh, I mean, I've played the Resident Evil games. You know, they only let um, stars... Oh, yeah. Police officers use those. But anyway, shit's raided. Um, you're captured and you are thrown into a room with... Racist Fred Flintstone, Jack Parrish, and Dana. These two are god-awful characters, and the ones you're going to be talking to the most. Jack Parrish is the one I like the most, because... And I say that purely because of how genuinely awfully written Dana is as a character. We may have missed a beat in regards to... So, fucking Walker gets kidnapped, and then you run away for a bit, and you go down a tunnel... And you're basically, like, set upon by the fucking McPoyles from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> who I tie you down, and then Dana comes in. And Dana's character is basically, like, what you would imagine people would lust over as a goth girlfriend, but she is, like, a genuinely, like, misanthropic like, okay, psychopath. Okay, I actually can't remember a lot of the early plot. I might have it wrong, because I thought you all get captured, and then Walker comes in and saves you, and then he gets captured. Oh, no, that is what happens, yeah, because oh, okay. you're... Because, yeah, again, it's just... It's, it's game the game. It's made out of other games, because the bit where it's you're It's a fucking, game of musical chairs, but the Koreans are well, the game where you're tied up in a chair is literally the bit from fucking Arkham City where you're being fucking interrogated by Doctor Strange... Oh, Hugo Strange. So it's like fucking hell but yeah then walker's crisps helps you and then walker's crisps get captured but he says run in the tunnel because this is also a game where people (laughs) out loud tell you what the plans are and the koreans can't hear them well they can't speak american it's fine that is that is very true yeah um so yeah you run into the tunnel you get um you get seized by the mccoyles (laughs) and dana is horrible to you and then she decides not to torture you, and then you go speak yeah, to... Yeah, doesn't she open up with, like, I'm going to cut your balls off or something? Yeah, basically, she's yeah. like, I'm going to fucking torture you. And it's like, fucking chill out. I've only just met you. So, yeah. So, here's the thing. The problem with this game is, it is mellow, It is cyclic melodrama. The same scene happens over and over again <laughs> for 15 hours, and then the game ends, which is, you walk into a room... The three leaders melodrama each other over 
like there's a doctor character called Sam who's like, you can't keep doing the revolution. You're oh, getting people Jesus, killed. And racist that. Fred Flintstone goes, hey, it's okay. We got to do the revolution. And then Dana goes, I'm going to cut the balls off. And that's and over and over again. And I apologize for that word, but that is the level these fucking characters are at. And it just does. And that's, and it's nowhere near as funny as that sounds. But that is. No, the there's game. never a bit where he says yabba dabba do. Yeah. I like uh, that's, killing. That's the-, that's the 15 hours of plot is you walk into a room and this is why I said the other half like Brom comes in is you walk in and Jack's like, so Walker is meant to be the leader. And yeah. the game, it took me 14 hours to clear it. The first nine hours are a plot to save Walker. Yep. The plot to save Walker doesn't work, and the remaining fucking three hours make no sense. <laughs> and then the we'll, game is over. We'll Five get to the Walker stuff, because yeah. it is quite funny from yeah. what I saw. But, oh, by the way, yeah, but folks at home, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't beat home from I Rebel. did. Yeah, Snake, Snake took it like a fucking... The, you have beaten every single game for this mini series. I'm amazing like that. <laughs> I know it's almost it's, it's almost like you treat you treat this with the respects and. Well, it's fine. You remember the beginning of the game. I remember the end. That's so, true. I also I also took notes about all yeah. the funny EA stuff as well. So it balances um, there. No, um, but I, I just want to say like yeah. the Half Life illusion. So the first game had the problem of oh shit, we should have had cuts. This game has the problem of. Ethan Brady is a silent protagonist and he is yes. the most infuriating silent protagonist there has ever been because the thing the game wants to have with the free leader revolutionaries it's basically you walk into a room you hear them say awful dialogue and awful plans at each other while they go oh that plan won't work that plan won't work and Brady says nothing mm-hmm. and my characterization of Brady is that on the inside he's going ah! <laughs> ah, why am I here we're all gonna die <laughs> But well, he doesn't I, I, say that. Oh, my characterization is is like he's like a thirteen year old boy at a work experience who's just like would rather be anywhere else. Like he's just standing there like a fucking lemon into the game. Oh, Brady, you're there. Um, go blow up a tank. <laughs> that works too. But I like to imagine that he's just screaming on the inside, completely shell shocked at like yeah. why? How, how have I ended up here? This woman said she was going to kill me, and now Brady, racist Fred Flintstone is taking me to get a gun. <laughs> And this doctor won't shut the fuck up. Oh yeah, and this doctor literally has only one fucking hammer, one fucking drum to bang, which is the more you do the revolution, the more normal people get hurt. Uh, there's a fucking line where he's like, "What I, I see the future is stars in the sky, and the more closer we get to the revolution, the brighter those stars get. But the more people die, those stars go out." Oh, and it gets dark. And, I, Sorry, and then, the and then, he, and then but he ends it by going, you should go to bed. And it's like, yeah, after that fucking talk, I feel like I need <laughs> that to. Was, that fucking line was a nice warm mug of Horlicks right there. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a fucking cloth full of chloroform. Jesus <laughs> That's the most dumb fucking line in the history of anything. I, it's it is burnt into away. my brain because, again, they, he does the same trick three times off. Ah, oh, but the more you do the revolution, the more innocent people get hit. It's like no, it's like every time you, he walks into a scene, it's like, cool, we're gonna see a repeat of what we had earlier. It's funny because has- I guess if you if you think like Homefront one, they were getting ideas from a right wing guy, and the second one, 
if you took it at face value, it would make you right wing in regards to oh, revolution, like homes, grassroots revolutionary projects just don't work. People just fucking infight and bicker with each other and try and fucking big dog you like they're on Twitter and go. Um, sweaty. Uh, that's an ableist term. Um, uh, sweaty. You um, the more people you uh do the revolution, the more people get hurt. So you shouldn't do that. And it's like it's the most uh, bizarre lineup, and it's the mo- the worst fucking result for a silent protagonist because you're led by an idiot, and Dana is at best a liability because she's just oh, a yeah. psychopathic killer who every scene has to be told, no, Dana, you can't go outside and just stick a knife in a Nork's throat. That would be bad. Only Brady can do that because he's the Brady only one who can respawn. Brady can hide in a dumpster. That's why he's allowed. Him, he, is, he has learned from Oscar the Grouch how to hide <laughs> from the KPA. Um, just, by the way, just before we forget, um, their fucking, their nickname, because every speculative future game has to have a nickname, um, there for the North Koreans is the Norks. Yeah, which... Which in the UK is a term for women's breasts, so every time they say it, <laughs> oh, it yeah. makes me smile. I forgot that. <laughs> that would have made the game way more fun if I remembered Norks was a slang term for breasts. It was, it was Norks <laughs> that made me think, oh, did Graham Nork, like, is there still a little bit of the, uh... The a cheeky. tiny bit of the free radical magic there. <laughs> we're like, we're going to go out there and we're going to get them norks. And you just chuckle. Oh, yeah. And they're all like in the street chanting, shouting, get the norks out. Get your norks out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this game is better now, actually. That's got a point in my head. <laughs> get the norks out. <laughs> Knocks um, out for the boys. Knocks out for the boys. Knocks out for the boys. Um, <laughs> R- R- Racist Flag Flintstone basically says you like the way that you can help out the revolution is by doing missions for us. <laughs> missions which are boilerplate, go to point A, go to point B, do like a short. What do they call it? Like um, strongholds, strong yeah, points. Yeah, not strong. Uh, no, 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 not not so much that. You know what? In Hearts oh, and like minds. fire. What was the uh, horde mode where basically you just have to stay in a room for a minute and shoot norks until they go? Okay, <laughs> move on to the next bit. Like every main mission basically boils down to oh yeah, go to every- a place or find a thing or do a horde mode or shoot guys like that is like the the mission variety like it's dressed up by go to an interesting location and progress the plot but there is nothing there you you have played home front the revolution in a million other games before but the other part of it is is that you have to win the hearts and minds yes and the hearts, so... and, the hearts and minds trade tm system is the far cry stuff Basically, yeah, it's enforced sandbox crap. Um, yes. You'll do a few story missions and they'll send you... Basically, I think there's like five or six districts. So this happens five or six times and once per zone, it'll be like, oh, to progress, you got to fill the hearts and minds, which is basically go turn on radios for a fucking bit. Go go do some open world checklist shit that will push it up 1% and uh, do that 100 times. Again, 50 times. What we said right at the beginning of the episode, which is tonally not a bad idea because essentially it's like you know you go around you like you know fuck the police you kind of like cause disruption and then that causes a state change in the world of it goes from a lot of kpa on the streets and a bit more risky to anarchy essentially and it opens up like 
Well, basically, it makes stuff safer. To, well, it makes it safer for you, essentially. Yeah, it's kind of cool in that because I'll say this for the game's difficulty, and we haven't actually talked about the shooting, which is the shooting in this game is a lot more immediate than Far Cry. Um, it's a lot more kind of it's a lot closer to a kind of well, it's a Crytek game, so yeah. Um, your weapon wobbles a lot more. You die a lot faster. Enemies die a lot quicker. Um, the weapons all feel kind of inconvenient, which actually kind of works to its favor because it encourages not going all out if you can avoid it. Um, yeah. It's actually a pretty good system. And uh, there is some real juice to the shooting in this, which does give it something I like. Okay. I I was all right with... I mean, I was playing on controller anyways, which but then I did have to start using the woolly system of i i started using my mouse a little bit You're just to kind of line up a madman <laughs> well only to line up headshots and stuff and it was mm. only in certain bits where i could just plug down get some headshots and then i went back to pure controller gameplay because again this is a game that was built for consoles first and foremost which is why all of the console button prompts are like done professionally whereas all the keyboard prompts were like done in a fucking text editor yeah and i i played keyboard and mouse and it worked okay the shooting felt a little bit jittery and oversensitive in places um Hmm. which i was able to get around but i mean that could have been why the weapons felt awkward um i'll say actually the game does have a very interesting system of like so you liberate areas and you get points for research and you get money and you can spend that on weapon attachments and (laughs) not just weapon attachments but full body (laughs) weapon modifications which is how they kind of get beyond the two weapon limit in that every weapon you carry actually well actually it's a free weapon limit at a certain point in the game they let you carry two primaries and your pistol they give you a um, rocket launcher for us so it's basically a, you have to do the story missions to unlock it but they give you a rocket launcher at some point and that unlocks the third spot yeah but then you can put whatever you want in there i yeah. actually barely use the rocket um and there is a little bit of fun inventive magic with it in the so um the pistol the system is the pistol is actually in free form so instead of like a free weapon limit it's actually a nine weapon limit because every weapon has three permutations which is the pistol can turn into a pneumatic pistol which is silent and more damaging but takes charge or it can turn into an smg which is like quite short range but very effective Yeah. yeah the the marksman rifle can turn into a sniper rifle and a freedom launcher which fires um fireworks which that's where it gets a little bit crazy but my favorite was the crossbow which can turn into a fucking blunderbuss (laughs) and genuinely one of my favorite video game shotguns like that's the blunderbuss is wholly inaccurate but everything that is in a kind of arc in front of you up to maybe two meters will die like you could just sprint into a group of five enemies pull the trigger and they will just melt and that's but it's super risky to do but it's really funny my favorite weapon ended up being the incendiary shotgun version of the shotgun that was pretty effective because yeah the moment you i mean the only reason you wouldn't use it in is if you're in tight quarters because that fire can and against vehicles where it's like flames don't work you do actually have to vary up your weapons a bit which i'll give yeah it isn't yeah and like the having the free weapon limit makes sense because you do want a relatively heavy duty weapon for tanks and cars and stuff like that um so when i initially started playing this game and as I said, my opinion on this has fluctuated massively, but one thing that made me think, oh, this might be a highly rated bullet time game was the way they introduced the weapon permutations, which is 
literally picking up where the slot was. So you toss a racist Fred Plinson and he goes, okay, here's your jobs, boyo. Um, get yourself a gun. And you get a pistol from the surliest character in the game. Who you is never a... actually need to visit because every single yeah. locker fulfills the exact same function as this Samuel's shopkeep. lockers. But you, yeah. can all, but you have to meet Samuel at least once where he is just horrible to you and you go, okay, fair enough. And you get a pistol, and Francis Floyd Flintstone says, hey, it doesn't look like much, huh? Why don't you turn it into a submachine gun? And you go, what does that mean? And what that means is that you go into the crisis mods menu, you change the gun from a pistol to a submachine yeah, gun. Yeah, he just rips the receiver off the gun. <laughs> yeah, and he just... takes, re- removes the receiver, just keeps the trigger and the handle and puts an entirely new gun on top. And you go, what? Yeah, it's the oddest thing. And, I mean, I think the blunderbuss is the bizarrest, but it's like... Well, be- well the crossbow is built... It's like it's like a... Um, like the back end of it, which remains the it's same. It's a gas it's like- pump. Yeah, so it's like a like from a chainsaw. It's bizarre. This is utterly bizarre. And like the assault rifle is the oddest one because like the assault rifle is an assault rifle. Okay, and then you could change it out for an LMG, which is fine. And then a limpet mine launcher, and it's like, uh-huh. hang on. wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, the handgun is funny. I mentioned the pneumatic pistol, which I never used because you can just buy a silencer, which completely yeah. invalidates the fucking pneumatic pistol idea. The nice thing is, is that when you buy an attachment, those attachments apply to every single gun. You sort don't of. The to... silencer only works on the pistol, which I thought was a, a decent bit of balance. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, like, they do enough to, as you said, there is a reason to sw- swap between weapons. And again, Halo has the two-weapon limit, and I understand why it has, because you're constantly cycling through it. And again, this game makes exactly the same sense, but... They also get to have their cake and eat it too with... You also have like a Doom style. Technically, you can have nine weapons. It's just that only three are technically active at a time. Yeah, and it's like, I would find myself in gunfights late in the game when I was very to grips with it. Most thrilling moments in gunfights were like, "Ah, okay, I need to change up and I'd find a little kind of spot behind cover and I'd change out, say like my marksman rifle for something else, for like a freedom launcher or vice versa. I, I will say in terms of things, because this game is... The weapons are very wobbly and generally underpowered. I just wound up using the marksman rifle with a like a basic reflex sight for everything, because mm. the game is all very short, medium range, and that thing puts down basically every enemy in two to five shots. Yeah. So I did kind of develop a dominant strategy, a dominant gun, but for a lot of the time I was like, I was forcing myself to use the assault rifle because... Hey, I'm liberating America. This gun looks like an M4. I should use the the American gun. <laughs> the most American gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> I buy into the setting. I try and care. Uh, buying into the setting as well, you also get like, there's like four kind of grenade types that you can get as well. Oh, and they're yeah. also very hacky. And they also have this weird morph ability system as well, where basically you have explosives, molotovs, Hacking devices and noisemakers. Noisemakers I don't think I ever used. I used them once and it made the situation worse. Well, there we go. (laughs) Yeah, I threw it far away, but more enemies turned up and then just paraded around where I was. And I'm like, I'm never fucking using these again. never using these again. It just summoned more eyes. The hacking tool is weird because that... It's very contextual. Yeah, and it's that and the um, pliers or the, or the, the bolt cutters. The game 
teases the idea that it might have kind of a Metroid-like utility weapon system, but it is literally only the shears that you get in the first minute, and then these electrical hacking devices, which you do have to build from scratch, but that's the only thing they're used for, is just open some doors. So uh, there is a kind of... So the way the stronghold system kind of works is there are types of strongholds, which are there are places you have to go and then you have to find a radio switch on, and these tend to be navigational puzzles. Then there are, you have to power up this building, which becomes get a motorbike. Oh, by the way, this game has driving, but it's kind of weird. I um, like the motorbikes enough, but I haven't really got enough to say on them, yeah, other than like, I would like more open world games to have vehicles to get around. The, the motorbikes are kind of like their utility besides faster travel, but at more risk of getting spotted is sometimes you have to power up a generator and you power yes. up a generator by driving a motorbike on top of a uh or something to spin up the wheel and you know get the generator. Oh, like generator. a treadmill kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah yeah um but then and i think this is one of these per region is a base where you have to go in and you have to destroy a tower by turning a big crank and making it yes. blow up and these are hilarious because it's always the exact same layout always the exact same thing and this is kind of my problem with ubisoft design is that thing has to account for if you haven't got the hacking tools yet or don't bother to use them. So it is, oh, you can you can send in a hacking device on an RC car, which is one of your options, and drive it to a gate switch and hack it and open the gate. Or you can throw a grenade at, like, one of the air vents and go in that way. And it's really funny that this is always the case. Or there is a giant, big, conspicuous ramp to just fling a motorbike. To do motorbike stunts into the base. And that's one of the stealthy options, because if you jump off the bike immediately, no one will kind of <laughs> get what's going on. God. That's like, that is another element of Ubisoft design that annoys me, is because of their approach to leveling, which this game kind of gets around by needing hacks for a lot of stuff and needing yeah. certain tools. But they kind of, they make every area tool agnostic so that you can do it with anything, which leads to very flat, dull design to me. Yeah, I would prefer it if, I mean, there's something like Jacob said on Twitter a while back, which is that I don't want a hundred options to solve something. I want like one like specific option that a developer came up with like and polished to a mirror sheen. Yeah, it's like that. It's, it's very spongy, the yeah. like a Ubisoft game, because they're like, oh, we need to allow every approach so people can make whatever they want of our games. Like, But your game is everything and therefore nothing. It's... Yeah, exactly. Trying to appeal to everybody appeals to nobody. And again, it's like, well, it's it's the buffet of like game design where it's like, we well, have a hundred dishes, but they're all bland as hell. Like, nothing is stand out as a result, you know? Yeah. So you have to do, you have to liberate everywhere uh, once per yeah. region. Which you do. Apart from in the first one. Yeah, that's a freebie. That's a freebie. You don't have to... Which is funny, because the first time I played this game, I 100% liberated that area and then said, I don't want to do this again another five times. And the game was like, no, you have to do that again another five times. It's like, for fuck's sake. So I got all but three of the strongholds. I was yeah. I was adamant. I will 100% the banal system, just so I know, just so my words carry more weight on this podcast and just so I will have done it. But um the last three i only played two of the last three one of them was shoot down five snipers in this area and one of them was like hidden in a corner and no matter what angle i looked at i could not see him and i was trying to like volley grenades i went through all of my explosives and could not hit this fucker 
And I was like, mm. okay, fine. I'll come back to you. Then I went to a hospital. A big area on my map lit up. And it was like, find eight medical supplies in this area and bring them to this table. And I got free. And then I thought, I'm fucking done. I, I can't <laughs> be I can't fucking arsed anymore. I'm, I'm, fuck it. Racist Fred Flintstone. Let's go to the end game. We're done. Philadelphia, you can sort this area of Philadelphia out later. This is not my Listen, I'm, 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 a, I'm a gun for hire. I'm not like a fucking manager. Can we not get... Do we not have subordinates who can do this busy I'm work? Fucking playing Homefront: The Revolution. I'm not watching Scrubs. I want to fucking be done. And again, Give it doesn't. What's the appeal? Like, I mean, every game is like whether you want to admit, like whether people want to admit it or not. Every game is built around fulfilling a kind of power fantasy of I want to be Kratos or I want to be Spider Man. What's the power fantasy of collecting eight fucking medical supplies to? do a thing like the, well got it out the game it's credit because this is boring as hell the way the open world works is there is always the element of fret because you're always in a hostile that is zone true, so it's yeah. always like oh some of the kpa might wander through and if i get spotted oh no but you know there's always there's something this game does do decently well which is the ever-present element of danger and you are in hostile territory but yeah. also i was looking for eight medical supplies in a boring gray hospital yeah so it's, that is no one's fantasy. No. Make that more exciting. Have, like, a helicopter shooting at it while you're doing it. And it's or make it... Or just don't do such a boring fucking objective. Yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah, just make have it, it be one. one radio. Have, it, have, it, have it be, like, a basket of medical supplies. Just one that you have to get. Maybe just have a Nork doctor I have to assassinate. There we go, yeah. Who's been... He's been injecting people with... I don't know, uh, Samsung, yeah, with juice, with, the, yeah. with monster juice, there we go. Uh, he's been, make he's been doing better? plastic surgery to make people look like Kim Il-sung or whatever. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> make it look like King Shung un For it. some reason. <laughs> no. This is the guy in your revolution, he's just a little pudgy King Shung un looking guy, and he's like, I'll get my revenge on them for what they did to me. Yeah, just, no, it was not fun, um, so I just, I threw in the towel genuinely on just finishing this up because i i was going out with a very prideful thing of this was not the right mindset but at this point because as i went on every play session was a case of enjoying the game less and less mm -hmm. and i just wanted to do this to feel like i had earned my stripes on finishing this game no idea why i still have that prideful element but no that my pride just lost out walking through that fucking hospital i was and done you end you ended up doing the famous uh, games D phrase of race carring it to the that, end. Exactly that. I race card. Which, um, this is a good game to race car in because um, basically every game of the past, like every game since Dying Light has very good clambering and like automatic platforming in first person movement now. And this game also does that. So, hmm. um, I will say though, that was at the end of the game. It's very meandering, the plot of this. Yeah, It's a so, mush. So, so the plot that I played, here's like the only things that I remember, and then you can like get me over the finish line, which is, so you're in, you're in part one, you're in zone one of Philadelphia, and yes. basically the plot is, okay, go out on this nighttime raid and drop some barrels, and you do so, and then they go, oh, we fucked up, ah, get out of there. 
yep. and then you go and then you go over an old guy's house and he looks like he looks like Red Foreman from that 70s show and he goes uh some of my guys are in a house can you go ha- or in a they're in an old factory can you go help them out you do so then he goes ah I'm being assaulted by a tank and then you go over there and you stop the tank from attacking him and then they go okay good job move over to the next zone what happens in the next zone um you do hearts and minds and then sam Burnett tells you off and says stop doing that anyways can you get me some medical supplies which you have to go to a police station i i i guess they they took him over there liberating police stations is like the big like after you've done a hearts and minds you always have to liberate a police station yeah like the hearts and minds thing kind of culminates with hey there's here's this major seat of power korean installation uh go take that out to show that the revolution is here to stay boom boom um and even though they have all the cars and stuff in the depot they don't use them which is always an why have them? Why have the cars there if the you know the revolutionaries? Yeah, they, you put big walls everywhere. You've really just snookered yourself on the big cars. No, stupid. Um, so you do that zone, and then they you go to another zone, which is slightly hard. Oh, hack the monorail. They're like hack the monorail. Yes, because... you have to hack the monorail to get into one into the very built up yellow zone. Yeah, and there's a guy a guy that they call a clab. Clab is their term for a people who collaborate with the Koreans. But this guy is secretly working for the revolution. But he's like, oh, but they're gonna figure out what I'm struggling with this. It's this plot is like it's it's hard to remember because nothing happens. There it is so a fucking nothing big. My favorite thing with that is that the guy who you help who this is a game of faces. Like this is all built in CryEngine. All these guys have the thickest and most rugged faces you've ever... these guys have got normal maps that they set way too high because they have got the thickest faces you've ever seen but that guy is like oh there's a guy who's breathing down my neck at the place where i work and i'm worried he might find out beat you should probably kill him (laughs) yeah so so he doesn't tell anybody and so you go to like this little green area where they're growing stuff like kind of like a little communal garden Use your camera. Oh yeah, so everything's done for a camera phone. We forgot to mention that, but whatever. Yeah, um, that's that's your Far Cry binoculars slash camera lens. That's slash menu like slash menu stuff. before the menu. Yeah, it's how you unlock the map, which you don't need because you already have a mini map. It's how you unlock the diary entries, which you don't need because you will probably read them when you pick them up. It's how you track your missions, which you don't need because there's a big fucking yellow reticule that tells you where to go. It is a game that has so many additional systems in them that it does not need. But hey ho, I had to. And, I'm just pulling up like a little summary just to help myself because I'm re- looking at footage as you're going through this. Uh, the game is currently 80 percent off on Steam, which it oh, won't nice. be by the well, time this goes up. Oh yeah, well, just an amusing well, I, note. We're recording oh, this on an auspicious occasion. Uh huh. Um. Uh, you have the guy with a thick face, and he gets you and Re- and he gets you and fucking Barney and Fred. Then go to the go to the rock smashing yard down in the na- down in the. Na- okay, uh, so the uh, bit where you fight the tank from earlier, the tank's got a brain. Basically, well, they call it a brain, a Goliath brain. But basically, yes. it's the control system that they use to remotely control the tanks. The tanks, by the way, look like 
something that they were trying to like sell at Toys R Us about ten years ago. It has six big wheels. It looks on like it, something it, the combine would make if they were idiots. Yeah, it seems like and it would have probably are idiots. Yeah, it probably would have been in crisis this tank, which is why I think that Crytek probably because they were like, oh, we have so many tanks, mate. Let's put them in the game. So that's <laughs> what they did. But um, you steal the tank brain, and then you meet a hacker, and she hacks the tank brain. Which you kind means of that- ha- you kind of nick the tank brain just as a little bit of serendipity. You're on some other yeah. mission supply run. It's like. Oh shit! You disabled a tank. Uh, can you can you nab its brain on the way out? And then everyone gets really hype about. Oh, we'll use this brain to save Walker. We'll use the tank. That well, we yeah, we're gonna have our own tank, and the tank becomes part of the missions for a bit. But that's where I dropped off. Um, the girl who hacks the tank says, "Well, I don't want to hack the brain first in case I fuck it up. Can you go and collect free brains from the drones? Which I thought would be easy enough, but those drones are so fucking spread out." That I died like four times just trying to get them. Oh, can just I talk about the, can I talk about the penalty for death in this game, which is so fucking funny? Yeah, go it ahead. feels like they invented a system so that death would have any punishment. You can get valuables in this game because you know it's the Far Cry method of you loot everything and you find like valuables like wedding rings and American history books and CPUs and whatever. Sure. And you can trade those in at a vendor for minuscule cash. Yeah. And your punishment for death is they take them away, which was always like, oh no, that 50 bucks I would have got for the 10 valuables is gone. <laughs> it's the most nothing like punishment for death. But Whereas when you do story missions, they give you like two grand every time. And it's like, why would I fucking bother getting Yeah, <laughs> You didn't get to the end of the game. I just want to point out something hilarious, James, is that yeah, when sure, you get sure, to the sure. end game, basically every objective is its own mission so every five minutes is like have four grand have four grand you blow up a tank here's four grand and it's just i have nothing left to buy my favorite one was when you do the mission where you go and grab a tank and hack it and then it becomes your friend (laughs) when you get onto the tank it pays two grand to you and it's like how how did oh, that happen? There was, there was two grand in bills in this tank. It just spat it out like an ATM, like, yeah. here you go. Oh, they were firing this at us. Thank you for rescuing me. Oh, yeah, it does a thing of, oh, yeah, don't let the tank get hurt. No, don't, yeah, that, don't worry about it. It's, it doesn't get hurt. Just shoot the, it's, only you can get hurt. Also, so. the tank is programmed by story to fucking fall apart immediately. Mm hmm. You spend hours in story getting this tank, and then, like, it fucks up in two missions and doesn't even achieve anything. Well, it's even better than that. You get the tank, and she's playing around with it, and she goes, why don't you shoot something? And you do. And then it immediately the power goes off, and they go, ah, fuck. Well, we're <laughs> going to need a minute to fix the tank. Why don't you go to the stink zone? <laughs> Yeah, you go to the that is so the zone. There is a zone in the game. One of the fucking five or six areas tries to vary itself up by, oh, this area is filled with gas. You have to wear a gas mask. What this means is there is a tiny little nodule of your gas mask in the bottom of the screen. And yeah, you have the next crime visor for a minute. Yeah, that's, that's all that's mechanically different. It doesn't change the gameplay. The area just looks different, and you're apparently wearing a gas mask. You don't have to change filters, and like you know, you have safe zones. That you, no, no, no. It's just yeah. Just I think there's maybe. There might have been something more there that they couldn't quite. Probably. The funniest thing is that playing this game reminded me a ton of 
Did you ever play Wolfenstein New Colossus? No. So that game also has a bit where you go to like the quote unquote perfect German town where it's people walking around and you have like beautiful boulevards and stuff. Exactly like the level where the club lives. There's, you also go to New York City, which was like, because in the world of um, New Coloss- uh, of that Wolfenstein, um, America is the one that gets nuked. So you go to New York and it's full of radiation, like the stink zone in <laughs> fucking... And there was a ton of stuff in this game which was like, huh, this is kind of like knockoff. This is like oldie brand Wolfenstein. This is weird. Like, just tonally, they're very similar to each other. Like, how they... Like, even the movement kit feels very similar as well. So I don't. I wonder whether... I don't know, maybe they added like a crossover in talent. Well, I mean, Crytek are... Well, I guess no, they're not German, are they? Uh, machine games. They're based in Sweden because they're all ex uh, Starbreeze guys. So might not have had any crossover, but it was very weird. I was getting a lot of Colossus flashbacks. Played. Yeah, it was giving you weird. It was giving you flashbacks. And rather than New Colossus, which has villains which are Nazis, where I go, well, I understand their history's villains. Um, the South Korean ones, I'm still like, well, I don't know how they went from making camcorders and stuff to wanting to take over America. That seems a bit of a stretch. Oh, God. I just want to, like, so, I feel like we've been jumping around, and I'm struggling to remember the plot, but let me just sum it up this way. Okay. Walker gets kidnapped, and basically everything you're doing, stealing the tank and getting ready and that, it is all in an effort to find and rescue Walker. And that is... Yes a solid two-thirds of the playtime at the least. Like, my total playtime, according to my recordings, was... 13 hours and 30 minutes. Wow. Um, Uh, Interesting. Nine hour and 45 minutes were on the Save Walker plot. Jesus. I will say, by the way, um, I played this game twice, and I basically needed to restart it because... And I explained this to Snake, but basically, like, I was like, I need to play this in one go, because the moment I fall off, I'm never going to play this again. Which is what happened, because I played yeah. it very early on. It's like riding play. a fucking unicycle. If you lose all your speed, you will fall off. I was like the bus from Speed. Like, the moment I lost any momentum, the uh, bus exploded, unfortunately. So I said, right, well, I'm not picking up from where I was. I'm just going to... Oh, no, actually, oh, no, no, no. I could... Oh, no, funny story with that, but we'll get into that maybe towards the end, but I had to basically restart my game. And I was not doing any hearts and minds missions unless I needed to. My original playtime beforehand was seven hours. I'm now up to nine hours, and I have achieved more in two hours than I did it's, in fucking yeah, seven basically, hours Basically, if you do the busy work... If you don't do the busy work, this game is maybe three, four hours. Easy. If yeah. you do the busy work, this game becomes 14 hours. Yep. And it was funny, because I'm a... I'm a... I'm a I'm fond of Noah Caldwell Gervais. I really like him. We haven't, yeah, we haven't mentioned. Okay, so we didn't mention that at the beginning of. There's only one defender that we know of this game, apart from the people who reached out and said, "Oh, I really like this." But perhaps the most famous defender of this game is YouTube's very own Noah Caldwell Gervais. And I'm a big fan of him. I'm you. I asked. I, I joked with you. Maybe you should reach out. And you took. You went, actually, you gave it a go. And he didn't respond. No. And considering the opinion I have, I'm very glad he's not fucking here right now, considering the, the room. But, you know, it's like, 
I think he described this as a 30-hour game, and I think that really put in perspective, like, yeah, he isn't that great at games. I'm not actually holding that <laughs> against him. I'm not, like, holding that, but it's just the funniest thing is, like, I clocked this fucking thing in half the goddamn time. Do you think that was part of the juice of why he liked it so much? If I now? had to play this for 30 hours, I'd fucking hate it. <laughs> like... You don't I, think you'd develop, like, Stockholm Syndrome? No, like... I do not. I think I would despise it more. The fact that I was able to clock this fucker out in, like, that short a time compared. Jesus. It's nice um, to have a metric, though, for, like, I am that much faster in this one very specific useless instance. And it's funny because I have... I'm sure I've watched that video, but I cannot remember any of his points for why he's... He's much more was... charmed. He... Agree. I think he generally has a lot of the same character problems we does, but he sees them as basically racist Fred Flintstone. He sees as a character who's like he knows he's above his station and is just trying to hold things together, but barely is. I don't get that impression. I don't get that reading either. That's a bit like yeah. I've... Like I get the idea that he wants to get Walker back because Walker is the guy who should be in charge, but he seems so flippant and like, ah, no, I'm the one in charge. I'll get it done. Don't worry. No, the revolution. That's what has I mean. To go he, he struck me as kind of like a scab, like foreman, just like, look, we just got to get it done, okay? Like you know. Yeah, like, like he's kind of dumb and like uh, un uncaring, unaware of the consequence. Like he will get as many people killed as possible before he throws in any towel. The man is towelless. He says, Yabba dabba do, I like giving missions to you. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Dana's like, just thinking about just castrating people. She, yeah, she, she just wants to commit misanthropy. Uh, misanthropy? Misanthropy? Misanthropy. I don't know. I, she wants to be. I don't know. She wants to be Lanetta Bobbitt. Meanwhile, like, Samuel, Samuel, not Samuel Beckett, Samuel Bennett, whatever his name is, who looks exactly like Lewis from Left for Dead, by the way, to folks at home. Okay, so in my notes, like, <laughs> I was about to say, okay, no, I have the second name of Sam, the doctor, who's an annoyance, but I just, I've got my fucking notes. <laughs> Dana Moore, <laughs> crazy lady. Jack Parrish, boorish leader idiot. And then just Sam. Bitch doctor. That's my, <laughs> note for, that's my note for his character. I saw the bitch doctor, he told me what to do. <laughs> ting, ting tang, every time you shoot, you start a revolution, people get hit. It does really sum up his character, though. He is the doctor who bitches just nonstop. I mean, that is that he has one drum to hit, and it is every time you try and do something good, actually bad. So he's fucking. He's he's spec ops the line, the man. Yes, yeah. you do good, but actually that bad. You uh, bad. So you spend the first nine hours of this 13 hour game potentially 30 depending on who you be um trying to rescue walker and partway and you do a lot of meandering stuff it's like oh we got to get to all these other regions and it's a lot of busy work and you kind oh, of you're if, sort of building your armory yeah I suppose. you're building your armory and it's like at some point you nick a tank and then it becomes like several hours of Oh, if we have this tank, then we can definitely break Walker out. And then you get the tank and it fucking breaks immediately. <laughs> um, it's genuinely, you, you talked about that moment where like you fire the tank in the underground and it turns the lights off. 
every moment in this game that's meant to be a kind of drama-inducing setback instead comes over like a fucking Monty Python bit. Like, it's just funny that everyone is so ridiculously incompetent. I wonder if that's the spirit of Free Radical, though. Maybe. It's like, the, all the lights go out, and it's such perfect, mwah, comedic timing. <laughs> it's like, but whether that, while that's funny in, like, Time Splitters 2 and 3 of, like, oh, Cortez has created a problem, so now you have a funny thing to shoot out of. This is just, like, fucking, it's Charlie Brown and the football. It's like, oh, another hour onto the game because it didn't work. And it's yeah. Like, Fuck off. So, it's, I had a note which was just, it's amazing how much wheel spinning goes into nicking a car. Oh, Jesus. That yeah. was my note about this tank. And then tank doesn't quite work. And then eventually you just they announce, oh, they're going to trial Walker at the court. And they're like, okay, we're going to raid the court. And cool. uh, Oh, also there's a, cl- there's a collab in there. There's some guy you talk to in the rich district. And I can't remember. He's just kind of a fuss pot who's like, you know... He's comfortable with the Koreans, but also works with the resistance, and he's a little bit guilty seeming. Oh, whatever. is that the thick faced guy? Yeah, I think like, that was thick faced yeah, no, guy. Think, yeah, we men- I mentioned him a bit earlier. The only thing yeah. I liked about him was that, well, I say like about him. There's a bit. Okay, so this game also has a lot of weird times where you're in checkpoints and you're in queues, and yeah, people just loudly to- state to you, okay, so I'm a big fucking um, te- like traitor. And I'm, I'm a going, big this terrorist. I'm a big terrorist, and you're going to do a lot of active terrorisms, but keep that on the down low. And then they walk ten, then they walk like five foot forward to go, "Hey, Jack, how, how you doing?" You know, like. But there was a moment with him where he brings Brady into the, you know, into into the rich zone, into into Casino Night Zone. Yeah, and the guy. This was the all- one character I liked is the guy who got you into Casino Night Zone. He was the one guy who seemed kind of world weary and interesting. He also seemed like the only guy who had any character to him beyond, "Hey, I'm a fucking guy," you yeah. know, like. Um, but there's a bit where he's talking to the guy who's behind it, and he goes. Oh, I don't know if I should let you through because, you know, you've been doing a lot of weird stuff. I've been hearing stories. And, you know, and that's the part, you know, that's the classic cliche of, oh, well, you know, I've heard stories as well. So if you don't, if you tattle on me, I'll tattle on you. But his tattling was, I heard a story that your daughter went to a concentration camp and you just lie to people and say she died. And it's oh, like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, like that doesn't really, that's not really leverage of. Haha, <laughs> your daughter's dead and you lie about it. And it's like, what? They're going to make him look bad in front of the fucking neighbors, kind of fret. Yeah, like, I don't really know what leverage like that, that was. Argue, like, yeah, you wouldn't want that coming out about you, but also, you're, you're arguing from a weaker position compared to you are terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! But the guy goes, oh, you got me there, I guess. Thanks for reminding me about my dead daughter. Oh boy, died. do I miss Susie. Alright, on you go. Oh, it's such a shame that she died at the concentration camp, and now I lie to, I guess, keep up appearances? I uh, don't... I, it, maybe it's... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say, maybe it was lost in translation, and I was like, oh wait, no, this was made in Nottingham. (laughs) Maybe it was lost in translation. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what Uh, are they thinking over there? So, they go to the court, and they go to break out um, Yeah, you you eventually, nine hours in, you go into court, but it was a trap set for the revolution! Because Walker, turns out... He was a turncoat! He was a turncoat! He was... 
Flint spilt lies. He he Sorry. was like, the I truth. love my I love my Samsung Galaxy Fold. <laughs> I can fold it up to three thousand times. And they were like, Ah, he's been he's been brainwashed. Like that damn traitor. We fall into a trap, and then you and, it's and like, then and then shit. you just blast your way out like you do in yeah. every other situation, and you're fine. <laughs> yeah, you just fucking shoot your way out. You fucking kill them all. You fucking knock the norks. They're done, and you escape. You know what? I joked about wearing an American flag cape, but looking at the loading screens, you are fucking genuinely doing that. Yeah, I know. It's really funny. <laughs> That's why you're caught instantly. It's good for you wind get, resistance. You, you get in the back of a car and somebody dies. Was it the hacker who died? Uh, I think the woman gets shot. Yeah. Yeah, the woman The woman hacker, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you escape. And then... You go into, then you go back. You go back to, to the, the stink subway. zone. You, no, you go back to the subway oh, where yeah, yeah. Sam is there. Sam Burnett, that's his name, and he's yeah, like Sam Burnett, and he's like, it was a trap, and we're like, shut the fuck up, and everyone's mad, and they're like, the revolution is done, the revolution's over, we're all gonna die, <laughs> and then they run credits. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but it's the funniest thing is the first nine hours are a shaggy dog story. And then racist Fred Flintstone says, what if we kidnap the mayor and make him say some shit on television? And that's the last three hours. They just decide, well, fuck it. If Walker wasn't going to do it and we're going to die anyway, let's just make some big play. And it, yeah. it works when I describe it, but in play, it's the most unsatisfying, like, oh, 70% of this was a waste of time. The remaining 30 is something we probably could have done before a bunch of us died. It's just that now we're desperate. So, Wolfenstein the New Colossus also has a bit where you go to a place which is an obvious trap and then have to shoot your way out. And it also ends with the big play being, what if we get a Nazi to say something on television? <laughs> Perfect. What... Did they all just like, oh <laughs> shit, we need another, uh, and like, oh, nobody's played home from the revolution. <laughs> Can I copy your homework? Yeah, just make sure you change some stuff. So, God, you get sent to the prison zone. Like, you actually. <laughs> 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 yeah, you get sent to Prison Island from Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah, I wish. No, you have to sneak into the prison zone and, um,. You know, make them revolutionaries too. Yeah, you gotta, rev you gotta, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's the uh, last play. Is like we're gonna kidnap Mayor Simpson. That is his name. And uh, but to do that, we're gonna need some people who are in prison. So you go to the yeah, prison the toughest. district. Yeah. yeah, you gotta get the toughest guys. Uh, it's at the prison zone. Find at your last stretch of the game. You can find an arcade cabinet which has time splitters two on it. I was debating whether to mention that, but I yeah, think that's we have where to. the yeah yeah. Um, well, well, we have to in regards to like so. The one thing that pretty much everyone has told us about this game, and probably the most famous thing, the thing it actually led to a genuine uptick of sales when it became a known uh, thing. Yeah, it genuinely yeah. people were more excited to play. And a game that they could easily emulate elsewhere. Well, here's the thing. This is an emulation. This is a that genuine, honest-to-God PC port of yeah. Time Splitters 2. And Probably remastered to 4K. And remastered to 4K. And in the game itself, it's only two levels. But there are codes to get more. And the thing is, people thought, people at the studio thought these codes would be uncovered and the game would be uh, kind of brought back 
I believe the idea was that they were going to put the codes in like magazines and stuff as like you know like codes of the olden days. Like, hey, ah. here's how to unlock thing. That's a little bit of mistake. It's a little bit of fun. Didn't quite come to pass. So eventually, I think uh, someone at the studio just said what the codes were. Just so somebody on one of the devs on Twitter mentioned it and being like, oh well, you know the sea levels are in the game, but we actually had it that the entire game's in there, the entire campaign arcade mode and multiplayer but uh, basically because we were up against the wall we didn't test everything so we just locked it off but it should work but um we locked it behind codes because it was meant to be like well because it wasn't like properly tested it was but unfortunately i lost the codes day later another one of the devs oh yeah here's the codes sweet and And, yeah that's on the ps4 version that's on the xbox one version and on the pc version which people have now patched to just automatically load up time splitters yeah. instead of home people front. have jumped the gate basically because you have to play a good chunk of this game to get to it but no now there are just mods and launchers just to go right into a fully opened up patched version of so, a true pc port of time splitters 2 not quite everything is there but a lot of it is there and it's not as as the guy said it wasn't properly tested and there are some levels that like bug out and like crash the game and stuff but other than that very solid port. And the reason it, that I had to replay um, Homefront the Revolution is because I got so bored the first time around that I said, I'm just going to download a save so I can get to the Time Splitters stuff. And that's what I did. And I played Time Splitters 2 campaign again in fucking <laughs> nice. Homefront the Revolution with mouse and keyboard controls and went, ah, good game, good times. <laughs> I did not replay it. Not no, because you have a I'm very funny of... line about this. Yeah, because so. uh, I was streaming it to you when I was just like, I got to finish this game. If I stream it when I'm in a call talking to people, it will go down a bit smoother. And I got there and I was like, I was excited for a minute. I was like, let's play this. And I got a little bit into Siberia. And I actually remember because this was like a automatic body response. It was just playing this isn't getting me closer to finishing this game. I was so done with Homefront the Revolution that this oasis of Time Splitters 2 meant nothing if it was like the desert of fucking Homefront the Revolution was sprawling beyond. It it, it was like a Valkyrie offering a hand to take you to Valhalla, but you were behind you and saw that the Crusades were still happening and said, no, I gotta finish this. Yeah, so I did not play much Time Splitters 2 just because I... because it was in this game and that's the fucking thing is like i know people like it and if you like it you know no shade on you but also like i can't bring myself to like this i guess at the end of the day i respect bits of it but also fuck man that's kind of where i'm at well i guess what what's the last thing that let's tell me what the last thing that happens in the game is all right so you go into the prison zone and you liberate it. You hearts and minds it. You get some guy called Small and he's basically um, a slightly less crazy male version of Dana. Okay. Like he big? just, he wants to bloat. But instead of Oh wait, what was the thing that happened where the guy was like, don't come into my fucking room and you went in and he shot you and he went, oh cool. Oh Look yeah, like <laughs> when you first approached Small, there was this really funny moment where he'll pull a gun and say, hey, don't get close to me. And me thinking it was just a cutscene bluff walked over and was killed. You have to walk into the room and genuinely stay back, which I respect nice touch. that. Yeah. I respect that. The game actually fucking followed through on this cutscene threat. I mean, I always like it in a game that you can tell it has a particular level of polish where when you're in scenes where people talk at you, 
when you walk around them, their head and eyes track you. Yeah, I always guess. Nice. But here's the funny thing: his gun didn't follow me, but he just shot and I died. <laughs> cool. You remember that? He was still aiming like at the front door of the room. I was standing like ninety degrees to his fucking. He just right. went into a. He just went into a dead zone. Yeah. I don't know. He must have ricocheted the bullet like fucking. Wanted Ooh, that's why he was in prison because he's the ricochet bullet guy. Yeah, he's too dangerous. He's too powerful. So, um, so you break him out. You break him out and you get there and uh, racist Fred Flintstone is like, all right. Yabba dabba do, revolution two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you get basically, he's like, all right, we got a big plan. We're going to raid the fucking town square or wherever the fuck the mayor is held. And we're going to force him to do a live broadcast where he tells the people to rise up and rebel. Uh, it tragically does not quite go as planned. Like, you do a big, daring rooftop raid. It's actually a somewhat decent set piece. Yeah, watching you play it looks okay. Wait, did you watch this cutscene? Did you watch the scene where it Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, what did you... Oh, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. When I was playing Wait, wait, wait. When I installed the save game, I think I played a bit of the final mission, so I remember Uh, this. Okay. Okay, but basically what happens is... Turns out Mayor Simpson um, and Dana have history. Um, in the what? you know, it's it's implied that he may have um, did some untowards things towards Dana in mm. particular. Okay. Yeah. So obviously Dana is brought along on the mission. Of course, yeah. yeah. And you break into his office and you're told to work the camcorder. Work not the camcorder, work the you there's a big fucking recording booth set up in his office so he can do a fucking thing at whatever time. Can, can we do a big check, check the levels? Whenever. Check the levels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, have I got good exposure? Can we have makeup? And, you know, racist fucking Fred Flintstone just kind of gets him at gunpoint and says, you're going to read this out. You're going to tell him to rebel. And Mayor Simpson's like, oh. Uh, no, he says fucking, <laughs> he says, I can't read this. They gas cities that rebel. <laughs> like that's the uh, reveal. That's the big re- like late minute reveal. Is that oh yeah, if a rebellion ever succeeds, they just fucking destroy the city. They just kill everyone immediately. I will not read this out. Which I guess we should have figured out because when we go to the gas zone, they said yeah they had an uprising and they gassed it. Yeah, they turns out they've like they've destroyed <laughs> two major fucking cities already. Um, but anyway. Mayor Simpson is desperately trying to explain to the two chuckle fucks beside him that, look, you're getting us all killed, but they're like, no. And then Dana says, uh, fuck you, and then stabs him in the head. And then, like, and then the funniest scene in the game happens is Jack is just like, ah, shit. Uh, and, like, you focus the camera on him as he's having a (laughs) (laughs) As he's, like, having a fucking panic attack. And he's like, okay, look, I'm uh, not good with words, but uh, look, you gotta take your future into your own hands. You gotta rebel. Look, no, fuck the, fuck it. You gotta fight for yourself. And he just starts like just hyping up the revolution, but in this dumbass way. That's amazing. <laughs> it's the funniest scene. Like, it's the f- well, no, it's the second funniest scene. Oh god, I'm reading it. Let me read Jack Paris's speech in uh, my bad accent right now. Uh. Words ain't exactly my strong point, but you know what? This ain't the time for words anymore, or prayers, or hope. 
This is the time for action. Now yeah. you're scared, and I get that. Now Walker's gone, the Norks have us backed into a corner, and you're looking for someone to, uh, someone to tell you what to do. Someone to give you a way out. But I say fuck that. If you want to be saved, you gotta save yourselves. Cool. Yeah, you gotta take responsibility. <laughs> you want your home back? Take it. You want your life back? Get it back. And by the way, there's a big American flag in the background. Very cool. Love it. <laughs> it's- it just starts flapping as well. <laughs> Pick up a gun. Pick up a brick. Fight with your fists. Grit your teeth. Get furious. Because this is it. This is the moment. This is our only chance. Stand with us. Stand with your sisters and brothers. Stand with your neighbors. Stand the fuck up. If you're one out of this hell, we're going to have to fight our way out. And this is after, like, they fucked up getting the mayor to say anything. And some crazy woman stabbed him in the fucking head. Like, five (laughs) seconds ago. (laughs) It's fucking funny as hell. And oh yeah, and then like Jack keeps the camera rolling, and it's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> we gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah, she's a ugly, ugly bitch, ain't she? Let's go home. <laughs> like, it's the fu- it's the funniest thing because like, yeah, you've broken into a, the most like fucking secure building in Philadelphia. <laughs> There's a helicopter hovering outside, flashing the lights in. Races for Flintstones like shit we gotta go and then it just cuts to black cuts fades back in and you're outside and it's fine (laughs) 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 you just escape off screen well it's because um you slid down the um the brontosaurus uh yeah after pulling a horn to say he was home parish jack parish the most american he's the leader of the revolution (laughs) from the Town of Philly. Philly. He's about to hit a chestnut tree. (laughs) (laughs) Critically injured. Press X to revive. So anyway, you're like, okay, cool. The revolution. uh, You succeeded. You walk into a room. The doctor runs in. They're gassing the fucking city. Oh, no. (laughs) So then a a massively long mission begins uh, where you just go through a bunch of the game's zones. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> getting fucking surface-to-air missiles ready to fucking shoot the gas machines out of the sky. But, oh no, the other gas machines are confusing our missiles. Go blow up the other gas machines. Oh, Jesus. It goes on and on and on. And every few minutes you're getting awarded four grand for your efforts. So oh, very cool. Get any of those last-minute <laughs> upgrades. I guess now that we're all about to die, no one's really holding on to their cash anymore. <laughs> sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, yeah. sell. Um, eventually, you get to a point where it's like, okay, we blew up all the gas machines, but we have to shut down this last gas machine, so we need to do a raid on City Hall. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, okay. God. The, and then, I'm going to say, I did not expect this to be a recurring element with Haze. Oh, why no. Is, why is suicide <laughs> the most funny thing they can do? <laughs> so, you launch an assault on City Hall, you blast your way in, and then you come to a shutter, and it's the most obvious setup ever. Like, Jack and Dana are lifting it, and it's like, there's gonna be a fucking gunman on the other side of this, and someone's and, getting and it'll be And it'll be Walker. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, you, and he's like, hey, Brady, come over here and help me. You lift it up, and 
uh, Jack Parrish, racist Fred Flintstone, gets riddled with bullets. And you, <laughs> you drag him into a corner, and he's, like, bleeding, and he's dying, and Dana's, like, panicking, and is, like, trying to heal him. He's like, "It's there's no point. You can't help me. You gotta go on. You gotta do it. And Dana then, like, grabs a box, and it took me too long to register what that box was, and she's like, ah, I can't go on. I can't lose any more people. And she's... What? Then just sprints towards a nearby tank and blows it up. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just, she's like, I can't lose anyone else and just does that. And the whole time that she did that, blowing up that tank, which I guess is also what riddled with the bullets, I just couldn't help thinking, you know, I could have just done that with an RC car. <laughs> like, that's what I they're... got these bears. Have you seen them? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, that, that was an easy two frags right there, Dana. You didn't need that. That's fine. It's like, oh, all right, off you go, Jesus. you fucking... Off you go, you fucking nut. Um, have fun. You you were a liability all along she anyway. Died. So. She died as she lived, blowing up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, to turn off the things. And you've got a handgun. And you walk into a room and a KPA soldier ambushes you. But then you're saved by Jack. He's actually perfectly fine and Dana did that for no purpose. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it looks pretty bad, Becky. Anyway, where's Dana? <laughs> Where'd she go? Oh, she left She left her shoes behind and they're smoking. <laughs> oh, well, Dana, well, she was always all over the place. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And, uh... The final shot of the game is an injured Ewan, like an injured Ethan Brady and Jack Parrish looking over uh, Philadelphia now as the missiles fly and take out the gas machines. Jesus. And roll credits. What's the uh, what's the music that they set it to? I don't remember. <laughs> I was too busy laughing. I, uh, <laughs> I suppose we forgot to mention that. Um, so. <sighs> Because I think we're probably going to wrap up from here, but I guess... Well, we got there a... are DLCs. Oh, but... yeah, there is DLC, mm. which... Did you play the DLC? Yet? No, yeah, but I, I did look at a story synopsis. Uh, hilarious thing. I think it's the only thing worth noting. Uh, the the silent protagonist is now voiced. Which is weird. They did exactly the same thing with uh, the original Unreal that the huh. expansion pack gave him a voice as well. But... Um... Huh. I, I actually will say this about the credits. Okay. There is a point about the credits, actually. It begins, before any names are seen, with a big message from the developer talking about how much trouble they went through getting the game out. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's two paragraphs and a final sentence. Just... Homefront The Revolution has been in development for just over four years, and as some of you may be aware, the path has not always been a smooth one. Several reboots, the original publisher going into liquidation, the development studio changing ownership, I could go on. Thankfully, throughout all of these difficult times, key people have kept faith and believe in the IP and the team's ability to deliver a quality game. And I would especially like to acknowledge Clemens, Condratti, and Hugh Bainon's unwavering support, without which this game and this studio would not exist. For the team members that have made it to the end, I salute you for your endeavor. To create a game of this size and complexity with a relatively small team is a remarkable achievement. For those that we lost along the way, I would like to thank you for all of your contributions, and you will find your names in the special thank you section. Finally, all of you that have enjoyed playing the game, I promise you, this is just the beginning. Mm. And that's tricky, because um, to go on to the DLC... It took a 
nearly a year for the free story episodes to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were three DLC episodes, one of which kind of expanded Walker. Um, it was a prequel, which is how we got into Philly and kind of kick-started, got the revolution off the ground there. Um, and then there are two that follow Ethan Brady and our kind of sequels, though I'd argue only one of them seems to matter uh, from my limited understanding, which is basically uh, someone from NATO comes over and is like, they're looking into the situation, the Korean situation in America. <laughs> and you have to kind of go and uh, stop a nuke from launching. You huh. actually, I think you actually do have to do a similar thing where you cause an EMP blast to knock out a Korean satellite so that the word can get out. <laughs> but it, okay. it does give the game an entirely new ending. Uh, Ethan Brady dies, by the oh. way. He drops into a missile silo and they're like, oh no, yeah. He drops into the missile silo that's going to launch the EMP. And they're like, ah, shit, Brady, we'll get you out. And he's like, no, the missile has to launch. This will save America. Oh, fucking Jesus. burn me to a crisp. Get out of there. And I, I'm fine with that considering Brady had zero fucking character up to this point. He was, he was pretty much just dirt. So yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's like... But that is where the series ended, and I'd I'd say it's funny because it is the the original game kind of ends on this you know kind of cliffhanger book is open ending of oh cool America is gonna rebel you know this is the first step but then the DLC kind of ends on NATO going all right fuck you Korea NATO is declaring war on you but it's weird that they decided to do that way. Oh, so we came over and we noticed that just there was a bunch of guys on a on a navy dock just punching wood, and we think maybe things might be bad. <laughs> That's a funny thing. So, before you get the tank, or around the time you get the tank, there is a section where you are sent to the docks. Yeah, you and Fred go to the stone quarry for the day. Yeah, and yeah, you kind of described it as you just the Koreans had people working, and apparently working was just punching the ground yeah it was just pickaxe and plywood on the ground <laughs> <laughs> i think the koreans just have to give these people busy work they just r- yeah, run I think out it, it was just keeping up place. appearances in case nate so ever came around <laughs> oh no the americans are happy we have them pickaxing the ground it's good they're pulling out um computer parts and then giving them to us not trading them for um dollars that they then spend on teddy bears that blow up so yeah, that is the the story and game of Homefront: The Revolution. Um, I, I got, didn't like it very much. I don't think I was going to say that. So my first question was, after all of that, like, yeah, not not a fan, I guess. Not a. I don't. I mean, I don't even know how to recommend it because it's one of those things where it's like, well, you've probably played a game like this before, and there's nothing that it has within its bones that's exceptional enough that I can go, well, a lot of it is like this, but there's this one thing that it does which is really... In- it's like the transforming gun stuff and, like, the setting and the motorbikes and whatever. Like, those are cool, but they don't really, like, do enough to make it unique. And the rest of it is just either, you know, checklisty, go to a place and hit a button, or it's do missions which as i said you've done them a million times before and other games with guns in them yeah uh it's tricky it's like 
I do, I want to say it has a sharper focus and more of a clear identity than the Far Cry. Uh, the combat is a bit more visceral and a bit more punchy. And it's like, yeah. that's the tragedy of this game. I don't like it, but none of it is really bad. No, it's everything fine. is... But that's the thing, it's just fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the problem with this game is that it's fine. There's nothing, like, because we've covered game other games on Bullet Time which are nowhere near to the level of polish of this, but... They're like, more interesting. Yeah, like 50 Cent Blood on the Sand is like the perfect example of like, the, the quality isn't there, but it makes up for it in having a lot of charm and a lot of like confidence in its identity. This is, I don't know, it's really cruel to say it because we did get people like, oh, this game was under thing, under thing. But I find it very just charmless. No, <laughs> I would say this as well, which is that if you went in, because I went into this game with, zero like well not even zero rock bottom expectations like it's a sequel to home front a game was like like home like home front wasn't like you know it wasn't notorious it's not like a i don't know like a sonic 06 or whatever but like it was a nothing it was just a nothing burger which had this kind of weird racist element to the plot and then you hear that oh they made a sequel to it which is like Far Cry and like in your head you you know what that looks like where it's wet newspaper the game, but then you play it and it's like a little bit better than that. So by all intents and purposes, it massively exceeds expectations. But I don't know. Like there's better. You were what very much whelmed. Yeah, it is. And for what it does, there are better versions of it out there in other places. There, there's... I don't... Like, I, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't know thing, how to... Uh, this is a question I'm not sure how to broach, and I thought about early on, but, like, say you do, like, this... The conceit of saving America from a foreign invader. You know, you're just into that idea. You, like... You you know you've got you got the patriotic fervor of oh yeah America would overcome da, 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 and you got that going but and I guess you wouldn't be thinking about it too deeply but does that fantasy still hold if it is a massively contrived alt universe where it's not really the America you know overthrowing a Korea that isn't actually anything like real Korea no and the funny thing is is that and I kept mentioning this is that this game just kept reminding me of Wolfenstein the new ones where it's like oh. This is what Homefront wanted to be, but they fucking nailed it in regards to the tone, the gameplay, the situation, the power. Like, again, going back to it, it is power fantasy. And, like, Wolfenstein, the New Order, and the New. I mean, New Colossus, I mean, say You're playing what you want a giant fuck off American who tears through Nazi bastards. Yeah, you play. You are literally, yeah, like, the one thing that stands in the way of fascism is a guy who can dull wield fucking LMGs. He is like, again, that is ultimate power fantasy. And again, it even leans into, you never get the idea in this, like, why why are the Koreans villainous other than their occupiers? Whereas well, they're collecting their money. Which yeah, is really, exactly. You know, they're just, they want, <laughs> where's my money? <laughs> they're just like rent seekers. Like, where's, yeah. they're, they're, they're the fucking, they're the bailiffs. Like, <laughs> they're at everyone's door. Like, where's my money? Give but, me the um, money. Give me the money. Where's the debts? Which again, like that kind of already paints it as a weird thing of like, like not even called like, like, you know, oh, sympathetic villain or whatever. No, this is just a villain of like, they're just a pure villain of circumstance. No, it's of- like America were bastards in this setting. 
Yeah. And so was Korea. So you are fighting to liberate a country that the story... I know it's realistic and it's re- it's like it makes sense like you yes. would still want to liberate your country because at least then you would have freedom but it's just this funny thing to think about is like oh actually everyone was bastards as Garcia kind of pointed it out a lot of it when you think about it does start to fall apart which I mean in fairness like every like 80% a of lot of stories like yeah if you get really into the granulars it's like you know you look between the threads and it's like you're not meant to you're meant you know it's not shut your brain off it's just know how to engage with a fucking text no exactly and i think the problem is is that like wolfenstein gets this power fantasy way better because who are the enemies oh oh it's grace's oh it's history's greatest villains great history's greatest shorthand for we understand why these guys are villains the nazis okay and then you make them even more villainous yeah you make them just cartoonishly more villainous Openly more villainous versus here where it's just kind of like where it's korea but not really because they embody none of the idea of what like north korea represents because now they're a corporatocracy no or even what south korea like represents which south korea is like it's a fucking it's america well it's like what america did to japan they're just like a little america they're just like a little yeah, corporatocracy. So it's like, why, 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 what? Like, why would they get involved? What is the point? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's one of the weird things about these kind of world building exercises. Sure, yeah. At a certain point, you diverge so much that it may as well be aliens. No, and to go I back wonder, to the crisis point. Which goes back to the crisis point of the fact that they're all rolling around in six wheeled tanks and have like super drones and stuff that you go, yeah, I guess they kind of are. But then. You have incredibly weirdly visceral kill animation, takedown animations where, oh, oh, those are guys underneath those masks. Oh, this is kind of gross. Oh, shit. Oh, God. The knife takedowns in this game, we didn't really get into that. But yeah, there are stealth kills. And there's one which, it stuck with me because, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly squeamish. I am (laughs) in the one where they stick it just in the woman's brain. (laughs) Well, no, I was talking about one of the canned ones that you can do to multiple people. But there's, like, some where you just stab the guy and that's it. But there's one where, like, it fucking lingers. Like, you pull oh. the knife out, you put it over his throat, do the slit, and it's like... Oh, oh. yeah! And it, like, it's the it's just a... It's a very basic throat slit, but it's the slowness and deliberateness of it Well, I had like, bizarre. Well, well, I had one where it was, like, one of those autogen missions where it's, like, um, uh, save the hostage or whatever it is. And it was a woman guard, and the animation was the quickest thing of just you just stick a knife in her skull, like, through oh, her yeah. brain. And it's like, like, there there was something, like, uncanny about it, where it was like, oh, this is, oh, I'm not a fucking Yeah, it's hell. just a bit, it's a bit much at times. Yeah, which, again, game made out of other games, it's like, well, you know, games have to have takedowns in them, but it's like, you didn't take the extra step of, why should this game have takedown animations, or, like, what... Well, like, is- how to make, or kind of how to give it that distance of, like, not making it feel a little bit gratuitous. I feel like this game is how people, other than me, because I'm crazy, think about the Mad Max game. Where it is just game the game. Where it's made out of pieces of other games, and they don't go the extra step of contextualizing why do this. But the Mad Max game is good because... They only have mechanics and stuff in it, which feels Mad Maxy. Like they go the effort of like can, of every anything that's there is only to build up the fantasy of being Mad Max essentially. Well, here it's like 
It has takedown animations because, of course, this game has takedown animations. It has liberations because, of course, a game like this has liberation. And while Homefront the Revolution as a concept, yeah, does kind of fit the Ubisoft formula for that stuff, there is just a lot in there that it's like, again, like, if you're already piecemeal, if you're already a game made out of other games, I'll just go play the other games. It's because they'll probably be older and cheaper at this point as well. And if they're more singularly focused, you'll just have a better version of those these myriad features which are kind of half cooked here. Just that's the thing. It's like it's loose threads in a jumper, and that's kind of what some of the elements feel like. It's just a loose thread, like the fucking valuables system where you get a tiny bit extra money to take downs. The uh, hearts and minds is genuine. Is a padding at the least. It's here's how we get a bit more juice out of this area we force you to engage with a few of the side mechanics and it does have the revolution dress up to make it work a little bit but sure yeah and it's like a jump with a few frayed knots in it and it's funny because i was on a podcast i was on um zach frazier's podcast talking about batman arkham asylum and the thing that i had to reckon with was that is arkham asylum like a game that an ai would make as in um, it would analyze what are popular trends and then combine them all together into a soup. Mm. And whereas, like, Arkham Asylum feels like that on reflection because of how many games have stolen elements from it and how much Arkham Asylum you could kind of boil down to a blender game of is Prince of Persia meets Metroid Prime. Like, you know, it has those elements. But, but because it's all built around Batman, you the the magic sustains. You never for a minute think that it's not unique. Whereas this does kind of feel like an AI could spit out a game like, or at least, and at least it's whatever. creativity by collage. Yeah, whatever it was, this is the, this was a game that was designed to be the most popular game of 2016 because it is the most 2016 game. Like the modern equivalent of this would be, I don't know, fucking the Suicide Squad game that they're showing off where if that had a battle royale mode, that would just be game the game 2023. Yeah, I get you. It's just, it's just, there is no creativity or originality in it beyond the framing. It's just and, every every mechanic you've ever heard before, but with a fresh coat of paint on top and, of it. And like very small flourishes, like the weird, like the weird transforming guns, which I know is from Crisis, but the fact that well, they are... yeah, it didn't quite take it to that level. That is an evolution of changing a gun into a different gun. The in weird crisis, transforming... It, in Crisis, yeah. it was just whacking on sights or a laser or a silencer or whatever. It wasn't. Sure. Well, it this... wasn't make your gun a different gun. No, and that's how they get away with having both a two weapon limit and all the guns you would possibly want. And motorbikes and stuff. Again, it's the little. It's, it's like celebrating a meal for for how the knife and fork looks. You know, it's like it's not. Which I guess gets maybe the final question that I'll ask you, and maybe the biggest question to of this episode, which is, does this feel like a free radical design game? God no, no, uh, ab- not absolutely in the not. Slightest. There is none of that spirit here beyond, like, us joking when they said Norks, did they mean tits? Which, (laughs) no, they did not. Or the fact that Norgate is pretty much, like, going fucking ham on the soundtrack. Oh, God. That is a thing. The music felt like it was struggling to be doing something more interesting in this game. Yeah, it was like he... It's it's just like he was like I have no ideas. I'm just gonna play two Chemical Brothers records at the same time and see if that see if that gets people jazzed up. But like, uh, 
you did all the time splitters games, man. Like the guy has range, he has creativity. Now he has to make like droning you are walking through a war zone background music. And it is genuinely overbearing, actually. I, I brought that up to you is like mm. the music reminded me of Jack 2. Uh, yes. which is an odd example, but it's like in that game, you're walking through a kind of dystopic future city. In this game, you're walking through a dystopic future city. And even though you're just kind of walking and nothing's happening, I wish the game was quiet, but instead it's going like, dun, 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 dun. Like you're constantly under threat and it has to fucking lay it on so thick. But I think that is kind of the only free radical element is the music being, you know, very, very empathetic for the environment. Yeah, and having that kind of like, even like when Norgate experimented with, you know, like even like stuff like Scotland the Brave, it still had a very kind of electronic and, you know, it kind of felt like his old chiptune roots, which yeah. is kind of does a tiny bit, but also feels like he had the budget to. Well, the music is very, through the Time Sports games, it's very expressive and very genre defined. Yeah. It is like absolutely selling a time and place as full on as it can, as full on as the levels can, because you know, time splitters. It's a snapshot of a singular genre idea. Yeah. But you put him in this kind of environment and it's like, it's too much. No, like, he's and, too constrained. And I wonder as well, like, because I don't want to do the thing now of like, oh, if I was designing this game, what what would I do different? Because that, like, we would be here for hours like, breaking that down. But a big thing would be the fact that the fact the game is about, like, a revolution. You set it's set in Philadelphia. Where are the fucking like you know the tomba drums and like the flute and you know the the stuff that you would hear from like a like a ren, not a ren fair but like a uh, like a civil war reenactment or whatever and mix that with the electronic like that would have given it a you tiny wanted bit of to idea. kind of go into Philly's history and cult and culture and like bring that into the fore. I mean, it's funny like um, Kevin, who's been on previous episodes of this Philadelphia native, was like what are some games set in Philadelphia? And we're like, well, we've been playing Homefront the Revolution. And he was like, well, how Philly is it? And I was like, it's not. Like, the, the Liberty Bell doesn't turn up at any point. There's no, like, I mean, I'm Philadelphia. trying to think, yeah. There's one other game in Philly I can name, and it's fucking Heavy Rain, so... Yeah, and Heavy Rain, it also has the thing of, this could be any city USA, but I guess they went for Philly because New York is so iconic and large, but they still wanted a northeast city. And Massachusetts is full of people like Mark Wahlberg, so you go for Philadelphia instead, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about Philly to comment on whether or not his character was in any way captured. But... I, I I couldn't say for certain. I I I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, I think if you were a Philadelphia native, this might have been the first time you learned that the game was set in Philly because there's nothing Philly to it. Not saying that, like, you know, their revolutionary colors should have been, like, black and yellow, and, you know, they should have been, (laughs) you heal yourself by eating a big Philadelphia cheese steak, like like an old beat-em-up game. I think that would have made the game more charming, at the very least. Like, even the accents, I couldn't particularly say if they were particularly Philly or not. Like, they were just generic American accents, like, kind of all over the place. So, I don't know, it was... And again, like that goes back to the fact that the the world has no identity, and there's absolutely no free. Rad- this is like pure gun for hire work. Yeah, in a way, the game itself is mercenary. Yeah, exactly. In a way that Hayes was fucking weird, but like, kind of on reflection, you sort of see the strand between that and, like, say, Second Sight, where 
you know, it's them getting a bit more into the military and like violence and video games, and it's their take on, well, yeah, it's Generation Kill for Idiots, essentially, where it's like, it's about the Iraq War, it's about, you know, games like Halo and stuff like that, but through their lens. But this is just, you could have, I didn't, like, you could tell me anybody else made this game, and I, you could tell me AI made this game, and I would believe you. Yep. Uh, yep, AI would come up with Jack Parrish. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, we I should. I mean, ha- like, it does feel like an AI struggling to remember characters at the end when fucking Dana kills herself over Jack supposedly dying, and then Jack just walks on screen minutes later. Is like, oh, I'm a bit wounded here, but he's fine. He like, survives into the DLC. Like, Dana died to, for no reason. I'm trying to think of images in this game is like when you use like mid-journey to generate environments and it's full of like weird flaws and stuff like that, but it looks enough like a city that it, it convinces you, I guess. Did anyone check the character's hands to see if they have more fingers? <laughs> yeah. yeah, check the gun reload animations again. How many fingers have you got? Oh, they should do that in a um like if if they ever do a film about AI, they should have like a character be like, How many fingers am I holding up? And if it's more than four, then uh, yeah. mm. <sighs> oh, How- I need fingers of whiskey after this game. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey. Uh, oh, no, I- it's 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 fine. <laughs> that's my that's the end of this three hours of podcasting. It's fine. It's fine. It's an okay game. It's I think I'd sooner replay Hate. No. No. No, no. no I, would, I would replay this over Haze. No, yeah, absolutely. Because I was thinking, well, Haze is shorter, but no, I'm pretty sure I could knock fucking Homefront out much Hayes, faster. Haze isn't is a much... Like, this is the thing. This is a nothing burger, but Haze is, like, genuinely awful and has a way more miserable development story behind it. And the ramifications of Haze are just so miserable to- Haze is just a cursed object. This yeah. is this. I, I still have it on my desk, by the way. I still, I'm actually, oh, I picked Jesus. up the copy. I'm holding my physical copy of Haze right now because I've yet to remove it from my desk. Do you feel like evil energy like pulsing off it? I'm staring at the eye in the uh, the cover right now. And I <laughs> yeah. feel it. and it's like you're, you and the eye are like cutting between each other like an evil dead film. You know, like when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back. Well, the abyss is Haze. This is Homefront the Revolution, which is like the Netflix action film of video games where, oh, I got Homefront the Revolution free on my PC. I guess I'll play it. <laughs> like, there's nobody's favorite video game. Well I, well, I don't know about, I mean, that's not true. Somebody might like. Yeah, you never know. You can never it's... tell. And people do like it. But again, I, I asked people at home, is it just a fact of it's just competent? It's just a solidly made game. And in an era where perhaps AAA games have become a lot dodgier and a lot more stodgy with, like, battle passes and stuff, something like this being a throwback is kind of more appealing. I don't know. I forgot to say this earlier, but because I was trying to remind myself of the plot, I I pulled up the Wikipedia page. The first nine hours of the plot take up three paragraphs. The final few hours of the plot take up another three paragraphs. <laughs> that's <laughs> how fucking... That's how backloaded this fucking thing is. That's oh, how nothing geez. the plot to save Walker is. Hey, we did a thing. Ah, I fucked up. Go do another thing. Oh, that fucks up. Go do another thing. <laughs> yep. Ah, fuck it. We fucked up all these other things. Let's have a Hail Mary. 
Oh, it kind of worked. Oh, that, I guess, why, why didn't we do that in the first place? Oh, thank God Dana's dead. <laughs> Phew, now the plot can get on. Wait, that's <laughs> the end of the game. Whoops. Uh, rest in peace, Dana. Well, rest yeah, rest in, in peace, Dana. You died as you lived um, in an embarrassing yeah. <laughs> Uh Let's do the charts then. Yeah, let's... that was, uh, you know... I don't know whether I should apologize to people. I guess I'll not. Uh, you know where I stand. I know. I, I thought I, you were gonna say you know where I live. Like, <laughs> if, if you, you wanna, have issues with wanna, this game, send a letter to to Snakerer at PO Box. Come fight me outside my house. <laughs> Here are a list of local pubs where I drink. Just walk in with a baseball bat, and I'll know you're here for me. <laughs> give me a give me a warning beforehand if knives will be involved. Um. So, uh, we usually do the GFK for this, but unfortunately they didn't have us covered for 2016, so we've gone back to VG charts for this one. Um, so this ah. is for May 21st, 2016, which is when it would have charted. Uh, because it's VG charts and it usually has, like, multiple games, like, appear in the charts multiple times, I've decided to simplify it a little bit and just have it so wherever their highest place is in the charts... That's the only one you have to guess. So that's made things a tiny bit more interesting. Which, Alrighty. to go along with that, um, out of 10 places, where did Homefront the Revolution chart this week, Snake? Eight. It was a shot uh, in the dark. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. The Xbox One version of Homefront the Revolution charted in the usual version of the charts at number seven oh. this week. The PS4 version at number four. Oh. Oh, I had multiple chances to get it right. Well, Man. not anymore, because I've combined both of those together and said that it actually charted at number three. So number three has been guessed on this <laughs> I know, this is confusing, but don't worry, when we get into it... You said it, you simplified fun. this. I did simplify it. So in the charts this week at number three is Homefront the Revolution, which... I'm shocked, to be honest. I don't know if it's harder or easier to guess with this system. Don't worry about it. Okay, so at, all right, at number one this week, second week in the charts, PS4 exclusive. Uncharted 4? Uh, yes, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. <laughs> hey! uh, number Lovely. one, a big seller, a couple of million sold. Number two in the charts is another FPS game. Maybe the biggest FPS release of the year of 2016? Um, Overwatch? Not Overwatch, no. Was it that year's Call of Duty? Call, I'll give you that of Call of Duty Black Ops 3 is at number 5 in its 29th week. Okay. Biggest FPS of that year? Was a Halo out that year? Halo, Halo wasn't out that year. 2016. Think of 2016 in I your head. I don't remember 2016. I don't remember two weeks ago. Oh my god. Well, uh, don't it, worry, I'll get it there. I'll get there. Okay, well it's an FPS game. Um, It's a reboot of maybe the most famous FPS franchise out there. Oh, was that Doom? It is Doom, brackets, 2016. Ah, in its was, second oh, week. that was the year, yeah. That was the year. I don't remember things, people. This is the tragedy. No, but Doom uh, was a pretty big deal. People thought it was going to be shit because they only showed off the yeah. multiplayer in previews, 
And then it came out on single player and was a pleasant surprise. And they didn't give um, journalists advanced access, which had people, a lot of people going, ah, it's going to be shit. Yeah, that left, I mean, they only showed off the multiplayer and they didn't give them advanced access. So people were like, oh, this is going to suck. Which, funnily enough, they did the same thing with Dishonored, like a few... Oh, no, Dishonored 2, they did the same thing. Of They didn't show... Um, well, that doesn't have multiplayer, but they didn't give them advanced access. People were like, oh, is this going to fucking suck? And then it came out and was like, oh, no, this is good. <laughs> Why don't you give early access to your games, Bethesda? What's wrong with you? Yeah, bizarre uh, company. Yeah, They make uh, bad RPGs that people argue about forever. That's true. Just like Starfield. <laughs> Sounds like Garfield. Number three, we've already said, Home from the Revolution new this week. Now, number four... It's going to be a hard one to try and explain. Also new this week. I think it's a PS4 exclusive. I want to say it is a remake of a PS Vita game. Is it Tearaway? It is not Tearaway, no. This is a Sega-published game. And I. It is, it is absolutely a weeb game as well, I would say. Ah, Criminal Girls. <laughs> not, it is not Criminal Girls. Rema- no one's remastering Criminal Girls. No one. That's probably not Sega either, but that's, I've got a very limited remembrance of Vita games. Uh, the fuck came out on the Vita? This one was a weird one because it combined anime girls with, I think, World War One. Anime girls with World War One PS Vita exclusive. But that then got remastered for the PS4. James, I I wish I've heard about this game. Well, hold on. I'm, let me Google it and see if I can give you any more clues. Yeah, because this is out of your wheelhouse as well. A little bit. I um, can't believe something like this. Like, it's not Valkyria Chronicles. That was Anime Girls no, it in is. World War II. It was. No, no, it wasn't. No, it fucking wasn't. Shut the no, fuck Valkyria up. No, Valkyria Chronicles is what you were trying to... Yeah, that's number four this week. But that was World War Two. That was the that was the oh, fucking well, that, so, was, well, that so, was Russia invading Finland. Oh, I'm sorry that I got my World War was confused. I thought it was. <laughs> you World said World War Two. I'd have got that in an instant. Oh <laughs> <No>. Jesus! <laughs> uh, that game's really funny. The Japanese represent themselves as the Jews in it. It's really funny. What? Nah, they don't. But it's really funny. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. They kind of do. I'll explain that... it off camera where I can't say anything contentious. Okay, good idea. Number five, you already guessed. That's called Black Ops 3 and it's 29th week. Number six in this eighth week is a sports game. Uh, Virtua Tennis 4. <laughs> no, Virtua Tennis. <laughs> it's a real I, shot in the dark. It doesn't even I, exist. I'll give you, uh, I'm going to say it's not Madden, it's not FIFA. It's one of the other ones. NBA. <laughs> This is every time it's a sports game. You say it's not these, and I just guess every other one. It's not NBA, but it is another sport that involves a ball. Uh, rugby 2017. <laughs> not rugby 2017. <laughs> Cricket, the showdown. I'll give you the colon. It is something the show. MLB the show. MLB 16 the show. Yeah. Number six this week. Now, here's one that took me by surprise. At number seven in its 39th week. Whoa. Is a is an Xbox One remaster of an Xbox 360 game. Um another shooter, but a third person shooter. 39 weeks third person shooter remake. Um well remaster more than a remake. Remaster. Fuck me. I'm, I'm turning around to look at my fucking games. Game a game that you think sucks. I think a lot of games suck. 
But this one in particular, which I think is a contentious point, because I think it's pretty good. I can't remember what I think sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty big guess who board you got there, James. Yeah, you didn't narrow it down. Fucking... Okay. Um, Epic made it. It's not Borderlands, it's not third person. That's very true. Um, Epic, 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 epic. I don't think Bravs in Arms sucks, and that didn't get remastered. No, but also, it does Also, I'm not sucks. sure if they re- if they made... I might be mixing them up. No, I'm mixing up Gearbox. Yeah. Um, why do I... I always do that. I mix up Epic and Gearbox. I don't know why. I can't remember what... Ah! What did they make? What did Epic make? In t- uh. A game that Noah Cowboy Gervais also, ironically, for some reason, thinks is very good. It doesn't help. <laughs> he thinks a lot of games are good, James. Um... Uh. A very, very a shooter that would inspire pretty much every other shooter that did what it did afterwards. I don't know. Ars Defenders 2017. No, unfortunately, um, it's not. It's not that one. Uh, what did they make? It's not Unreal Championship. No, it is. No, it is not Unreal Championship. That was, no, that's not even epic. What the fuck am I doing? I can't Snake, think. You should know. This is a game that Cliffy B made after his wife divorced him. He had to get this off his chest. Was it? Why don't I? Gears of War. Gears of War. Gears of War. Why can't I? I fucking can't remember Gears of War. That game does suck. Gears of War (laughs) remastered is 39th week. Big seller for the Xbox One. Gears of War. That shouldn't have been remastered. That should have been unmastered. (laughs) Yeah, they should have. They should have done like um, what they did to all those um, games that were made by Silicon Knights, where they had to like take them out of store shelves and destroy them because they weren't paying for the Unreal Engine. Like I beat the trilogy in co-op with a mate. I have no idea why, because I think I just didn't enjoy a single moment. I just don't like those games hey speaking of games where you don't enjoy a single moment in its sixth week <laughs> is the third game in a law well i guess a not lot in a namco bandai franchise dark souls 3 dark souls 3 yeah i'm not a big yeah i don't hate i don't viscerally hate dark souls like i do gears of actually i don't even viscerally hate gears of war what the <laughs> yeah, fuck am don't. i selling of myself here i just don't like it very much i like i like dark souls more for what little that's worth but i'm still not a fan if i mean if i had a choice i'd rather replay gears of war of the dark souls that's yeah sure. i'm the opposite but then i consider a playthrough complete when i get to an orlando then i just turn the game off oh well, there we go i mean everything yeah. is better before you get to an orlando anyway don't be good if Gears of War was a third, uh, if um, if Gears of War was a third person shit, if yeah, Dark Souls was a third person shit, there's probably be, a mod for that. That'd be good. Um, anyways, number nine in its thirty third week is a game collection that is um doing well based on a recent release, which is also in the charts. I... For the PS4. Say that again. Um, it is a collection of games for the PS4, which is doing well in the charts because of another game that is also in the charts. That wasn't the Crash Bandicoot remake, was it? Crash it was Bandicoot. not. It wasn't the Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, Insane Trilogy was a bit later, wasn't it? But Naughty Dog related. Naughty Dog related. Uh, was it Uncharted? Oh, Uncharted. It was the Uncharted the collection. Uncharted collection. Riding on the coast so soon after. Riding on the coattails of the Uncharted 4 A Thief's End game. And then finally, at number 10 in its 14th week, is a Nintendo 
3DS game. Uh, moving things. See, that's how modern it, it's, it's yeah, so wow. good doing a game from 2016 because all these games are like more up to date. But yeah, this is a Nintendo 3DS game. Um, is, it, and- is it Fire Emblem Awakening? You're very close. It is the one after that. I can't remember what the one after that was. That's fine. I will give you Fire. Ah, no, I'll just give it to Fire you. Fire Emblem The Wanky Wars. <laughs> the Fire Emblem The Wily Wars for the Sega <laughs> Mega Uh No. Fire just... Emblem Pet Your Waifu edition. Uh, yeah, no, that, yeah, that you got it. Nailed it. Wow, bang. Um, bang. Sorted. Uh, Fire Emblem Fates. Ah, sequel that was to what it was Fire Emblem Awakening. Fire Emblem Fates, I think you are like. You play as a well. You don't play as a baby, but when you were a baby, you were stolen from your real family, and that that was when they decided to do the Pokemon Red and Blue thing of, do you buy the game where you, where you play with your blood family, or do oh, you yeah. play with your adoptive family? In the that was the game. game that inspired controversy, wasn't it? Because they took out the the mini game where you touch people. <laughs> What? There's a way of putting it. There was like there was a controversy over one of the Fire Emblem games where you could like you just touch them. <laughs> I I've never heard of that. I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. But I, I know there was a like, controversy. I think I think the controversy was that you could pet people. I no, I thought there were controversies that like they removed a- that feature from Western releases and they were like oh no. you are yeah 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 no no you are right like um all the fucking gamergate guys made a big deal of they are ruining our games by taking out these me-. but the mechanic was like you could pat women on the head for doing a good it was basically the mode that they have in the new pokemon games where you can hug and pet your pokemon but it's for your fucking soldiers and <laughs> to be fair that is a good feature to they keep. should ha- they should put that in XCOM but 3 like, they should make it gender neutral you can pet the men as well oh like, no that, that was the point you could, I yeah. think it, that was what it was I think the idea was you could pet the men but obviously so what's the it's, problem then well, well the problem is because it's fucking perv mode and like all people who want to who cares do- perverts exist perverts have money perverts do have money that's why that's- furry artists are fucking millionaires it's bizarre <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how Mark Zuckerberg raised the seed funding for Facebook was by drawing like furry inflation heart. Like yeah. everyone who can draw surely must grapple with the pain that at any moment you could sell out and become a furry artist and you would be living on fucking easy street. But I mean that, that that's gonna be me next week. Yeah. You'd be thinking about it. Thumbnails. Furry inflation art thumbnails. <laughs> if you go that route, you'll be Oh no, you'll be moving into a big three bedroom house in no time flat. I'll be swimming in a fucking bath of money like Scrooge McDuck. That's the fucking con that's the what every artist has to come to terms with is like you draw furry art or you starve. That's it. That's, that's what it. a game don't starve's about. Draw furry art or starve. <laughs> yeah, that's that was that was the original name for it, but they but they tightened <laughs> it up. Yeah. Uh, I will Sean say Parker from Napster actually said, um, one more thing. Drop the draw furry out or it's cleaner. <laughs> uh, well, that's it. We did it. We've wrapped it up. We've finished the free radical design mini series, folks. Did it. Um, obviously, we will do power rankings in the next episode, but I guess, um, I don't know. How did you find the journey, Snake? Um, enlightening. It made yeah. me feel older and very very often depressed me um 
this this series did definitely radicalize me into a gamer, unfortunately. Yeah, like you play Time Splitters 2 and there's no coming back from that. It's like shit, this is the better path we didn't go down. That's what I, I just want more Time Splitters 2, folks. That's the only game I want now. I just And then every story you told me about how Free Radical got treated by publishers in the wider world just made yeah. me more and more upset. It, it, they're like the the yeah the Nicholas Tesla of developers. Like I, res- I I can't even hold Hayes or fucking Homefront the Revolution against them, despite my distaste. It's like it's like blaming a cornered animal for lashing out. Yeah, it's it's stop hitting yourself and then blaming the kid for hitting themselves. It's shit. <laughs> it's so bad. So, yeah, I'm glad. I, I, I'm very thankful that this podcast gave me an excuse to replay some great games. But yes. also, screw you, James. You've made me sad at points. Well, um, don't ble- don't shoot the messenger, I guess, is all I'll say. Yeah. I will put the gun away. <laughs> For now. It can come until out you, at any moment. Until we have to do our Gearbox miniseries. <laughs> Fuck off. What, what would we call that? I don't know. T- t- fucking... Tales from the Tales from the Boredom Lands. Randy's magic fucking thumbstick. <laughs> Randy, yeah. Randy's USB stick. That's that's <laughs> the mini series. <laughs> Randy's magic circle. Looking oh, at the no. games of Gearbox. Randy'll fix it for you. Oh no. That's only a joke that our British listeners <laughs> yeah. over the age of twenty will understand. I feel like only over the age of 40 and we're just yeah, old I men suppose, in younger yeah, bodies. Yeah, over, the, over the age of 30. Um, we just grew up listening to weird British comedy and it fucked us up. Well. Well. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm not a we. You, I think, in that situation. I'm okay. Well, alright, fine. You couldn't go well, down with me on that fucking sentence. Absolutely not. That being said, though, thank you so much for being honest. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, no, this has been a fun mini-series, and yeah, as I, I mean, I guess we will get into it a bit more on the power rankings, but, um, yeah, this was, uh, definitely not a, yeah, definitely, definitely not a, like I said right at the beginning. It's bittersweet, it's bittersweet a story. And like I said, I mean, there is the potential that hopefully, you know, they're due for, you know, the rise, fall, and rise again. Maybe Embrace it might do something with the IP. My main hope is, well, I say my main hope, but like, if they remastered 2, I think that would be a good foot in the door. And even if nothing ever comes of that, that's fine. Just having an opportunity to play uh, Time Splitters 2 on new hardware is good enough. And in a weird way, that is, if you want to do that right now, legally, you could buy Homefront the Revolution and do so. Yeah, but man, online play... With custom lobbies, that's what mm, I yeah. want. Just, you I, need online playing custom lobbies, and you're sorted. You got a game that will last a million years. Exactly. Have a have a like. Um, you don't even need like a workshop or whatever for like showing off maps. Just have it so you can download people's maps, and then have an old fashioned forum or have like, like the face punch forum. Have it be like, hey, check out my map. I I'm just fucking excited by the thought of something that's never going to happen, which is just. Time Splitters 2 PC port comes out with fucking custom lobbies and Ooh, people yeah. can do their own game modes and maps. And we'd just be playing that shit. We'd just like grab everyone would have it. We'd all yeah, be playing that. Exactly. That would like take up fucking that would be so good. It'd just be nice to fucking have. 
it's such a weird thing of being at like playing a game that is so from 2016 and where games are now where time splitters 2 as a concept which is online is more refreshing than the next Far Cry game starring Brian Cranston, <laughs> which guy. is gonna happen. Which I, I think is, I, I think they've already they got him in the mocap studio. They got him in the ping pong balls, folks. He's there right now, angri- angrily delivering lines for a trailer. French people saying more Heisenberg to him because you know they want him to sound more like Heisenberg, and he's just saying, "I am the one who knocks on the door of this big tower." <laughs> yeah. Say my name, Far Cry Seven. <laughs> That's what's happening right now. Right that now, is, folks, it's happening right now. France, somewhere in France, Brian Cranston is in a recording booth wearing ping pong balls, and in the back room, something dodgy is happening. Oh no! The lawyers are ignoring it. They're squeezing Brian Cranston's butt nonstop. <laughs> Squeezing his balls. <laughs> the, the balls on his ping... The ping pong balls on his suits. And his testicles. Snake, is there anything you want to promote or, like, I don't know, say before, I guess, we wrap up for good? For good? On this miniseries? Um, play Jet Lancer. I've been playing that again lately. It's pretty Oh, cool, fun. okay. Yeah, good game. Good-ass game. If you played, um... Luftrauser, I believe that was called. It's that, but it has dodging, so that's pretty sick. Oh, Luftrauser was the um, Vlambeer game, right? And it's 2D? Yeah, yeah, the one with the plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that, but you've got a fucking dodge. Very cool. So it's pretty sweet. I do like uh, Luftrauser, so I might give give that a go on your record. Yeah, Jet Lancer. Good soundtrack, too. Nice. So that's what I've been into lately. Cool. Uh, as per usual, I've been James. You can follow me on Twitter at Hot Cider, H-O-T-C-Y-D-E-R. Uh, you can help support the podcast over on Patreon at the same address as well. And I guess until next time, folks. Um, what's it? I don't know. Keep, like, should keep splitting. Keep sl- oh no! <laughs> don't split. Split. Oh, split. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant like when you cut the person's throat up earlier in the game. Oh, oh, I thought it was an illusion. Oh, that was... No. Jesus uh, Christ, man. Oh, it's shit. corrupted you. Oh, no, I know. This game is radical. Oh, all right. Uh, let's try a different one. Keep fronting. Wait. Keep no, fronting, folks. <laughs> oh, no. That's bad, too. You should suffer, I <laughs> The Bullet Time Podcast is made possible by... Eric Hamilton Schneider, Valerie B, VG, and the Hot Cider Support Tier. If you'd like to help with the production of episodes and gain access to extra content, consider supporting over at patreon.com forward slash hot cider. That's H O T C Y D E R. A special thanks to Max Coburn for the Bullet Time theme tune. <laughs>